0: Welcome to The Beauty of Horror, a podcast dedicated to exploring the unsettling beauty found within our favorite genre. Each episode, I usually sit down with a different guest to discuss a horror film they find particularly beautiful and why. However, with the changing of the seasons comes a shift in our focus. For the next few months, and actually we're kind of rounding it off now, uh, we are diving currently into the goop, into the gloop, the rancid, and all things gross while taking a very uncomfortably close look at the aesthetics of disgust. I'm your host, Chandler Bullock, and my next guest to lead me on this masochistic journey is a horror writer, Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic, and journalist with bylines at Nightmarish Conjuring, Mirror Media, What Now Media, We Are Horror, and Fangoria. She is also an actor in the immersive experience entitled Alone and for Warner Brothers' Horror Made Here. Beautiful greetings to Dolores Quintana.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: I'm doing pretty well today. How are you doing?
1: (laughs) Uh, Well, you know, worldwide pandemic, I I guess I'm doing pretty well considering... (laughs)
0: Fair, I am, you know, that's my denial voice that you heard just now. But yes, all things considered, I suppose, I guess I'm doing quite well. Yeah. Uh, you're right. The brain is in its state, as I assume most <laughs> of us are in at the moment as well. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming on. I've been real excited since, you know, I, I approached you and, and asked you to jump in. And, you know, I, I've really admired your work for quite some time. I, I to- I'm sure I've told you that before. But, uh, yeah, super cool to have you on, and, ah, uh, man, we're, we're going to get into it <laughs> today, everybody, uh, before we discuss <laughs> the film. The look, yes, yes. Um, welcome to the show, and I do just want to get everybody warmed up and kind of get to know you a little bit, in case they may not, for whatever reason. Okay. Um, so let's go on this little journey then, since you write a lot about horror in a lot of different places. And as we were talking about just before recording, you write about a lot of different things in a lot of different places. I um, do. So let's start with writing. I normally start with horror, but I'm, I just, it seems to be something that you're very involved in. So like, were you always a passionate writer? Did you always like to do that? Or is this something that kind of started in a way you didn't expect? I'm very curious to uh, hear that.
1: Well, actually, yes, it it started early. Um, I am a voracious reader. I used to, I'm one of those kids who um, was a lonely nerd. And I actually read the Encyclopedia Britannica one summer because I was bored. And I used to read dictionaries and thesauruses and basically anything I could get my hands on. You know that um, Twilight Zone episode, um, Time Enough at Last? Where he reads everything.
0: Oh, uh, it's been a while. Is this the classic yeah. one or? Yeah, the the,
1: the classic one with Burgess Meredith, um, where okay. he survives the nuclear holocaust and he's happy because then now he finally has time to read enough to read and no one's going to bother him. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I could relate. Okay. <laughs> he, literally, I would read anything, and I would I would read during meals. And the, basically, the upshot of it is is that you know when I got into grammar school. I, um, you know, they'd be like, okay, here's your homework, write an essay with such and such, you know, and everybody'd be like, oh man. And I would be like, yes, yes, essay time. So I would get excited, lonely nerd that I was. And, you know, I would, I'm probably the only small child in, in, in school who would write essays about, uh george romero's importance to horror and uh, um oh i'll mention it uh the 19 was 1918 flu pandemic and the okay. possibility that pandemics might actually come and hit us again in the future wow yeah as a child as a small child wow lonely nerd uh
0: i, I could <laughs> that a lot though i you know yeah i was just reading all the things that scared me a lot as a kid Mm-hmm. So tornadoes, bugs, all Ugh. kinds of crap. Uh, so I, you know, storms, anything. I wanted to be a meteorologist. So I, I get where you're coming from, but it seems you have a more deep infatuation with words and learning and communication. Then,
1: yeah, and you know, also in, in tandem, is a, I'm a bit of a history nerd who's kind of fascinated okay. with evil. Ah. Yeah, um, you know, uh, uh, again, same around the same time. You know, I was reading uh, William L. Shirer's um, Rise and Fall of the Third Reich. You know, I was the only person che- I was the only person checking that out of the library, and you know, back then, you know, I was reading Stephen King. I was reading um, Harlan Ellison, who's one of my favorite writers uh, in science fiction. You know, technically, he's not horror, but I mean, if you read um, one of his um, most famous stories I have no mouth and I must scream Mm -hmm. that's pure horror oh yeah it really is um so and that's the thing is all all around the same time you know because I was the history nerd I read about one of the first I don't want to say important but one of the most famous female reporters in American history and um her pen name her pseudonym was uh, Nellie Bly. But her real name was Elizabeth Cochran, and um, she was kind of a crusading reporter. Basically, an editor wrote um, an op-ed uh, that said what girls are good for, and she objected to it. She and she wrote him. She's yeah. like, "You, you!" And he was so impressed by her writing that uh, he actually made her. You know, basically offered her a chance to write, and she ended up. She pulled all kinds of stunts. I mean, but she was really interested in social justice. So she got herself committed to an asylum. Oh. Uh, she got herself sent to jail, you know, for petty theft, um, just to investigate what those, mean, you know, what a jail, what an insane asylum was like for a woman in that period of time. And guess what? It wasn't good. No. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah really not good surprise so, yeah i know so shocking but um and you know she ended up doing stuff like she did the jules verne uh, around the world in so many days 180 was it i forget um I
0: mean, it's
1: 80. Eight, yeah she did the journey around the world in 80 days you know like jules verne that was more of a st- Stunting thing, a stunt back when uh, before like people were stunting, and so she was very very famous. And but I really admired the fact that one, she was a woman, and two, you know, she obviously wasn't taking anybody's direction that she should go write on the society pages and about fashions and stuff like that. But that you know, she was so self-directed and so dedicated to social justice, which back then, you know, I had already become. Involved in my little mind, you know, particularly with like stuff like Ellison, like Ellison mm. is very socially conscious as well uh, So I was already um, Organizing my own protests <laughs> Wow, <laughs> yeah, Fair. I I was very weird little kid um, so That's how I got into writing and I, I mean I kind of left it alone because I I've been involved in a few different um disciplines in art. Um I I'm a classically trained choral singer. Okay. All all the way through through school. Uh, my high school had a very good program. Went to regional and international festivals. Did I choreography, that, that type so of thing. Cool. Oh, you, you too?
0: Yeah, down in Mississippi, I was in so two choirs cuz I I hopped schools a lot. Yeah, And so first it was in Pearl, Mississippi. We did the competitions in junior high. And then nice uh, when I moved back home to where I am now in Columbus, uh, mm-hmm. our school also had a, a choir. And I kind of pushed them like, hey, we used to do competitions where I was. And then we started doing competitions and yeah. So yeah. I, never, I never expect to meet another choir kid.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm a, and that's the other thing. I'm choir kid, musical theater kid, but I'm also an, an actor. And that's the thing is I got into that um, mainly in high school because, you know, earlier on in the grades, I um, was not cast. And um, mm. because I was quiet, because I was a choir singer, I got cast in the musicals, So that kind of opened up the whole like drama kid thing as well. So not only am I a writing and history nerd, I'm also a choir kid and uh, a drama
0: nerd. So what you're saying is that nerds are going to nerd. Basically,
1: basically, yeah. That, that that's real. That's really what it is. Nerds are gonna nerd, because and I really
0: so much of this. I wrote, you know, short stories and stuff as a kid. Mm-hmm. I got into drama later in high school because I needed to have some sort of extracurricular activity. I sure was not gonna be playing football. So
2: uh, It wasn't
1: happening. Yeah, um, totally not.
0: Yeah. Choir wasn't enough. They needed something else, and I was like, "There's a drama class," and you know. So I, I feel yes. you there. Well, yeah. then, just personal curiosity, but also I think just a good kind of question for your kind of professional profile. Then, mm-hmm. do you feel just as passionate still, like about writing as you do with acting, or do they kind of have like a different kind of parallel experience for you, perhaps?
1: Um, I, I mean, you know, I I do. No matter what discipline you throw me into, I'm mm-hmm. going to be every bit as passionate about it. Because if answer. I'm if I'm even involved in it, I'm going to give it
0: everything. There you go. That's that perfect. that's just
1: it. There's no there's no point in doing anything less than that.
0: Totally agree. I mean, why would you put yourself in the position to do things that you have no passion for?
1: Yeah, I I mean I I just don't understand that whole thing. Like, try you know put some more effort into it. You know why not? You know what's it gonna hurt yeah. you?
0: Yeah. And even if you don't love it, you can try to find what you do love and have passion for that part of it, because of course, you know, in life, we are given hands sometimes where these are the cards that you're dealt, this is what you Mm -hmm. have to deal with, this is your financial situation, these are the jobs available to you, this is the system that is around you and either supports or doesn't support you, Mm -hmm. and you could be defeatist and say, well, this is just the way it is, and I will hate it and kind of coast through it, therefore I give it nothing, or Mm -hmm. you can find your passions and only give anything to those things and see, you know, people kind of have to get on your level. And I I know that may sound really privileged for some people's perspectives, and I'm sure in some people's situations it is, but it's something you can internalize. So regardless of what you're externalizing to others, just hold on to that just to kind of get you through what you're doing is more where I'm coming from with this.
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. I've had dozens of day jobs, and you know Mm. when I was a Starbucks barista, I was the best friggin' Starbucks barista (laughs) I could be. You know, I just, I can't half-ass it. Right. You know, and, and maybe that means I'm a passionate person. But in particular, I am very passionate. But particularly, I mean, you know, and, and thank you for being so kind about my writing. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I throw everything I can into every time I write a, an article. I feel it. Or, um, you know, I do an interview. You know, the or I write a, a piece of criticism. It's all important to me. Mm-hmm. So it, it's just who I am. You know, I just can't not do it that way. if it's right. maybe it's my training. You know, I went in and out of writing. you know, i I wrote for a few places, <laughs> places that don't exist anymore. Um, <laughs> i wrote I wrote for Buddyhead for late period Buddyhead for a little while. And you know, i had fun i i enjoy doing it you know what i mean i Mm -hmm. I, it's not a chore like working at the the farmer's market that's a bit of a chore but i still do Mm -hmm. the best i can you know and that's what i would say to what you said is that yeah you might not like it but you can do a good job you can do the best job that you can, you know, why not? Again, it, it's not going to hurt you. You know, it's not going to take years off your life. I don't think, but yeah. that's just, that's just my opinion.
0: I, I guess it also depends on your circumstances and what, you know, how you're being treated to a certain extent. I I understand if somebody's like, yeah, but I wouldn't want to put myself out to behave in a way that they're basically just making your employers happy as mm-hmm. opposed to doing anything for yourself. So, but to those people, I would then just try to say to them, like, well, evaluate and keep your eye open for something else that will give you at least that small percentage of uh, uh, your motivation to do the best you can, because it's so rewarding. And if you are stuck in that rut where you just kind of skate through and you just are miserable the whole way through, mm-hmm. take some of the action yourself and find a different path some way, somehow. Yeah. Uh, or if you can't. Really, look for that thing there that you like, and hold on to that. You can still kind of say, "Have a good day" to a customer, for instance.
1: Yeah, or or you can just you can just find something about the job that that entertains you or pleases you, yeah. or or you can find some type of satisfaction. You know, just personal satisfaction. Like, I, I think that goes a long way in just you know making like some of the more tedious jobs a little more bearable, and particularly if like you yeah. have terrible bosses or something like that, Ugh. which, believe me, I have had terrible bosses. <laughs> believe you me.
0: Oh, I believe you, yes. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's a survival thing as well, right? If you're stuck there, there's not, you're right, you could say, well, there's nothing else I can do. The only thing you can do is try to enjoy what you can, and then you'll be the one, you'll be that colleague who's like, I don't know, I don't really get fussed about it, I do what I got to do, I do it pretty well, I'm pretty proud of myself when I go home, and then you get nothing else from me
1: exactly (laughs) well and that's the thing is i think that when people when people hear me say you know i'm very passionate about what i do no matter what i'm doing they don't realize that i still kind of protect myself and say okay here's my line not going past
2: it sure
0: you have to do that at work you know that's a communication thing as well you need to be able to be clear with those who are kind of above you and in the power position to kind of let them know like power goes in two directions just want to let you know the only reason you have this job is because you have employees. So let's yeah. try to work <laughs> together, reason, okay?
1: <laughs> yeah, the only reason you have this business is because you have employees.
0: Yeah. So you, you do have to, you know, it all comes from the same place. You have to respect yourself. And to just be miserable and hate it, uh, it's just it's it's not really respecting anybody at that point. And I understand where, you, where people might be coming from, especially if they've been really put through the ringer. But, um, yeah, I've been there with you. I've had some pretty terrible jobs, too, where I, you know, just, even just whistling while you do it or seeing that fun <laughs> little spot on the wall and kind of <laughs> laughing about it. Like, there, there are ways to have a little bit of fun on the job. And I'm sure a lot of the people who are kind of pulled down by certain systems they have those days. You just, it's really easy to lose track of that when you're talking about it because yeah, in the scheme yeah. of it, you fucking hate it basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Oh, every minute of it is torture.
0: But in the moment.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, I, and I fully understand. I fully understand that. Trust me. Yeah, I do.
0: That's really cool though to hear how, you know, it, it seems that a lot of the, or at least all the paths that you've been taking just kind of come from your own interests and uh, your passions uh, in general. Like, you say you were a weird kid, I hear a an aware and motivated child who just wanted to, you know, maybe, I'm sure as a child child, a very young child, you know, if you're going to be making your own protests and stuff, a part of that is inflation, <laughs> just like, hey, they did protests, I'll do protests, I like them. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but another part of it is you are already engaging with people's passions and kind of you know, linking to it in a way that you would feel just as strongly to create such a ruckus about something. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can't do that without any passion. So yeah, I think that's super cool. And it definitely shows in all of your work, at least the work that I've seen. So uh, you're very true to your craft.
1: Honestly, that's really the the prime motivating factor. I just want to be true to the craft and whatever it is and not do any harm to you know people who are being genuine about the art that they're creating you know what Mm -hmm. i mean like Mm -hmm. you know everybody is going to be in the same place you know we all have different levels and you know you have to also kind of realize that somebody may be at a point in their career for whatever reason that maybe things didn't work um so that understanding you know I think goes a long way towards, you know, not crushing people.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: because I mean you can and and I I don't think that's fair.
0: I agree. And also it doesn't really matter what kind of hierarchical level you're on. You could be a, you know, quote-unquote grunt. You could mm-hmm. be a CEO. It doesn't matter. Yeah. In either direction, you could be just you know, even just client, you know, employee relations can just crush somebody if you do things in a certain way or yeah. if you look at a freelance world too, that's another place where you know, often we are giving each other feedback to kind of help people grow as freelancers and mm-hmm. you have plenty of people who don't understand the difference in trying to help somebody grow and just trying to say that you understand it better than they do. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a hard thing to, we all do it. We all catch ourselves doing it sometimes. And the trick is to just remember, to check yourself, hold on to your passions because they're yours, and mm-hmm. remember that you know you can know the craft, you can help others, but if you can't help others, just do you, you know. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, just just do what you can, do the best that you can. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that there's really any any better standard. Is that at least you're trying? You know, hmm. you might not succeed, but you're trying you know you're not just doing it out of a, like a cynicism or a desire for benefit you know
2: uh, ah yeah. <laughs> uh.
0: I'm just getting flashbacks of, like, every colleague I've never liked. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> just, just the wrong reasons to do anything. And you're like, what are, yeah. you, what are you here for? And they're like, oh, I love all the perks and can't wait to, like, get up to this level for that tax write-off and this. I'm like, but what? why are you doing this job? Like, I just told you. I'm like, oh, I don't like you. <laughs> we're not the same.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're not going to agree on a lot.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Okay, so we talked a bit about the professional in in a very professional sphere kind of way, and this is still a professional question, of course, since you are working a lot in horror critique and and criticism and and Mm -hmm. journalism analysis. Um, But let's get into then a little bit more of your relationship with the genre itself. Were you... Because you mentioned some pretty heavy topics that you were already reading at a pretty young age, mm-hmm. so uh, I wonder. It's so like Stephen King, for instance. Are we talking like young age? You were already reading Stephen King, or oh yeah, or like junior high or younger than that? Uh,
1: pretty young age. I got I got wow. into their I got into his stuff and and like I said, um, Ellison's stuff pretty early. Because mm-hmm. and you know there was like kind of a connection between Ellison and um, and Stephen King. Like uh, if you read *Dance Macabre* king talks about ellison extensively Hmm. because they knew each other and um you know so there was kind of that crossover where you know i i forget which one i read first but it might have been i that i read stephen king and found out about harlan ellison and went like my brain exploded (laughs) so uh, i think that's what might have happened like i read dance macabre um, after I read, and the, here's the other thing: is my father was big into horror. He was uh, a okay. huge, he was huge Dune fan. Uh, he uh, showed Assault on Precinct Thirteen to me when I was a, okay. a very small child, mainly because he wanted me to see what happened to. <laughs> <laughs> the the incident that begins the whole <laughs> oh <laughs> you, I mean if, if you've seen the movie you know I what, know it, what is. it is <laughs> it's like thanks dad um, so yeah you know, big John Carpenter fan he he went ba- he actually went back to Dark Star he would wow. just rave about Dark Star and that you know that was back when it was you know his his thesis his that that was carpenter's thesis film that actually was so good that it got released in theaters and i'm, right. I'm sure that's where my dad saw it huh. so he would just go on and on about how much he loved john carpenter so he he loved horror movies but one of his favorites was Night of the living dead
0: Aha, uh-huh. hence the River yeah o articles you were writing in school
1: yeah so <laughs> you don't have to wonder where that actually came from no. um so it was the, a formative moment because they would let me watch anything. The only thing that they had problems with is anything that was, because it was a Catholic family, anything that was overtly sexual. You know, so when they're watching that Woody Allen movie, everything you ever wanted to know about sex, blah, blah, mm. blah. As soon as they got to the scene with Gene Wilder and the sheep, I got sent to bed. <laughs> yeah, it was time for me to go to bed. But other than that, they would let me watch anything. They let me watch The Exorcist at a very young age. Um, and in fact, my grandmother considered it educational She's because she's oh. like, this is what happens if you don't believe in God. <laughs> I was oh. like, oh, okay, okay, <laughs> okay sure, thanks. Um, but one night, they decided to watch Night of the Living Dead. And it was the version that was on TV. So most of the gore that's in the film, because it's not anywhere near as gory as like some some modern films, including the film that we're about to discuss. Um, You know, it's in black and white, um, you know, so you can't see the blood. It's um, the TV edit. So like not it doesn't have all the really horrible things in it. But as soon as I started hearing, they're coming to get you, Barbara, yes. um, I just about lost my mind. I, I was terrified by it. I don't even think I got, I, I didn't get past the part where like the sun goes down outside the house. Oh, wow. Before they go, before they go out to like get the car, mm-hmm. well, the truck, I should say, I didn't even get that far. I was, I was about to cry. I was so scared. Just absolutely terrified. And after that, would not go anywhere near graveyards. uh, Was scared of going outside after dark. Um, I'd listen for crickets because I heard that if you heard crickets outside, that it was safe.
2: Well,
0: (laughs) yeah, to an extent. I actually was teaching that to my partner who's from the Netherlands here. And, you know, one of the things I kept telling her before I came to visit family was, like, I look forward to the... The sounds at night, just hearing the crickets yeah. and all that sort of stuff, because with us it's the weather. If you hear the mm-hmm. cricket stop, you everything kind of gets still you're like mm, i'm going to check the weather yeah, you know, the <laughs> tornadoes are probably about to show up <laughs>
1: might be something wrong so and and also, I was incredibly grateful for twenty four hour news because uh-huh. if the anxiety was so bad, wow. I could turn on the TV and go, "Oh thank God zombies aren't coming." <laughs>
0: Do you still have that or are we like I think zombies would be better companions at this point
1: <laughs> they might be <laughs> you know like at least at least you know what they're out for so you don't have to worry and they have to bite you first you know it's sure. not airborne it's not airborne so um, uh,
0: it's a different movie
1: might be preferable at this point y- yeah uh, is there like a small part of me somewhere that says be careful the zombies are coming yes. Still, yeah. that's why I'm a Twitter person, because I know the instant the zombie apocalypse starts, people are going to be tweeting videos oh, and god. photos and screaming all over Twitter. It, it oh. won't even take 30 seconds. It'll be all over, and I'll be like,
0: look, everything! <laughs> okay, it's,
2: all, it's happening, it's happening. <laughs> it's happening, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. But the oh. planet
0: effect. So this movie was kind of your Jaws experience, basically. Some people won't get in the water. You're like, I don't do like.
1: I don't. I don't do graveyards.
0: Yeah. Uh, no. I dead bodies. Uh, no,
1: no, 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 no. Keep no, no.
0: them there. <laughs>
1: they they at a distance. All you right. can go up. You can go up next to it if you want, but I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah. So, the, and the Next time I had to go to an actual funeral. Mm-hmm. I I was at the point where I was about to cry. And they're like, Aww. what's wrong? I'm like I couldn't tell them I was actually terrified of zombies. <laughs> I,
0: I guess you were old enough to kind of know like this is not the most rational fear to have right now, but I, I can't help it you
1: know No it's it scared me that bad.
0: Yeah, I get that. that's
1: Yeah my dad had a one of the novel apparently John Russo did a novelization of it. He had the book and he would leave it around the house and just looking at that book would terrify me again all over again I'd run away yeah of course yes because he loved to frighten me. he loved to frighten me it was Poor parents. He, he, he he did there literally there was nothing he enjoyed more than scaring the holy crap
0: out of me For some parents that's the reason they have kids is just to be like <laughs> get a load of this.
1: I'm going to scare you, small child. <laughs> yes.
0: <laughs> oh, wow.
1: Yeah. and But but that's the thing. is After that, you couldn't keep me away from zombie movies. You couldn't keep me away from horror movies. I, I'm watching everything. And, of course, my family's like, yeah, sure, whatever. As long as it doesn't have any sheep wearing garters, I don't care. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So there you go. I then I, I officially became a horror fanatic and later a gore hound cause, gorehound because you know I'll watch I'll watch anything. Like you know I watch shot on video, you know all the Italian zombie sh- or horror shockers. Pretty much everything. I mean I haven't seen Martyrs yet, and people keep warning me about it. I'm just like really it can't be well, that bad I've seen solo three times guys
0: I was gonna say there are if there are particular films out there that if you've seen them martyrs is nothing but it the chances of having seen those before seeing martyrs considering how mainstream it kind of got mm-hmm. is a little sparse you know it's 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 a pretty thin chance that that's gonna happen but in your case yeah you know, you're so well versed I think it would be more of like an interesting emotional ride than anything else because mm-hmm. that's the thing about Martyrs is that it's, it's got the visuals and stuff in it, of course, but it's more the approach and just the, the sheer nihilistic emotion through a lot of the violence that Ooh. is just kind of, like, sobering. And that's not mm. something you see a lot in movies. It makes you question kind of the whole time of, like, is it okay for me to watch this for entertainment? You know, it's that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, is, is, it, is it okay for me to enjoy this?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Like, uh, well, as I've mentioned before, uh, Piero pa- uh, Paolo Pasolini's Salo, or 120 mm-hmm. Days in Sodom, a lot of people are like, oh! you know, they, they hold up the cross to it, even yeah. if they're not Christian. They're, they're just like, never. And I've literally watched it three times, once at home and then twice in movie theaters and wow. I'm about to go Christ. in. I'm about to go in for a fourth round uh, because uh, American Cinematheque is going to be showing it next month. I'm really considering going again because I don't know. It, it's you know, and it, it kind of ties into the whole thing where you know we're talking about disgust.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It is a truly disgusting film. It, it's, it's it's in my opinion it's Pasolini grabbing the filmmaker's head. And kind of like, you know, how horrible people used to, like, push cats or dogs, like, Mm -hmm. faces into feces to try and teach them not to um, poop on the floor. He's literally just kind of, for good purpose, taking you by the back of your head and shoving your face into it and saying, Mm -hmm. this is what fascism is. Yep. You never want this to come to your country ever for any reason. You know, and... There's also, because he is such a perverse filmmaker in a lot of ways, there is a kind of glee in it as well.
0: Well, because he knows how you're going to feel. Yeah, there are a lot of those yeah. filmmakers who are like, I can't wait to see how many people walk out of that room.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, you know, and in particular, like Cronenberg, both Cronenbergs, yeah. um, they, <laughs> they, first of all, they both have really wicked senses of humor, but um, oh yeah. they... They love to see how far they can push you and in the audience, the audience itself. You know, how far can I go? Mm -hmm. You know, that's part of the thing is like some people go, oh, well, you know, there are those edgelords out there just trying to shock. They're not trying to shock. They have a very um, intellectual understanding of uh, humanity and why we behave the way that we do, and it's less of a button pushing than it is an exploration of why this is so disturbing.
0: Yes, and you have the exploration of this deeper kind of human condition as well, the aspects of our psyches and and, and thought processes and well and in Cronenberg's case both of them the the flesh you know the in the carnal side of being human Mm -hmm. uh that's a part of us that we try to repress to a degree that we think that we're above it but then Mm -hmm. we catch ourselves kind of just wanting things that you're like but I'm a better person than that no you're not you know you're
1: not
0: (laughs) realistically you what makes you a good person is you don't act on certain instincts and stuff Uh, And that's great That's what makes you human and not a dog
1: That's what makes you moral (laughs) and ethical
0: Exactly That's where that whole philosophical construct Came from was the fact that we Can't even consider it Yeah. Um, And so yeah I like that they take The and just like this film does as well You know uh, they take this Whole feeling and try to just Expose you to it because you can't run Away from it as much as you Mm -hmm. would like to But it's only by thinking about it That you could actually beat it that's just the only way to do it.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, that you have to – I'm really of the opinion that for people to improve as individual human beings or as for us to improve as an entire race is that we have to understand more about what makes us do what we do, you know, rather than just saying, oh, well, you know, I, I was – hold off my feet, you know, all, all these excuses. No, you know, you were there. You know, you mm-hmm. made those choices. You did those things. Why did you do them? And, exactly. you, you know, it, it's only when you discover why it is that you behave that way and what makes you do it. And I have air quotes going right now. Mm-hmm. Um, what compels you to do it, That's a great you know, one. And there's so, um, you know, it has a lot to do with, I, I think Stephen King said it, and it's something that's fascinated me for a long time. Basically, you know, what's at the core of our being? You know, we, we like to think that it's, you know, all the nice things, but what if it's not, you know, what if, what if, what if at the core of humanity, there's really just violence?
0: Mm. That's a good one. I think that is a very good segue into <laughs> our topic today, actually. very Yes. Very skillful one. Uh, so, what I like to do... Also, listeners, you may have noticed I have not featured a quote today. There are a multitude of reasons for this, but <laughs> uh, time is one, and uh, at the end of this episode, you're going to hear a little bit as to why, where my time has been focused, what might be distracted <laughs> me on that, but also just because of... The landscape of reality as it is, especially in the United States in the current moment, with all the atrocities that have befallen people with the release of this particular film, I've just felt that coming from ourselves, without the help of other writers or scholars, whoever, it's going to be a, a more, I don't know... For me, it's a conversation I need to have. Let's put it that way. So Mm -hmm. I don't want to be too beholden on that academic rigor for this one and just (laughs) kind of talk about it and get it out. Because let's say that this is my own kind of cathartic conversation today. But (sighs) as a tradition (sighs) though, now that I've gotten rid of, uh, or at least I've covered the the part, one tradition that wasn't done, we will keep this other tradition, which is, uh, Dolores, I'd like to ask if you could announce the film that we are going to discuss today.
1: So the film today will be The Sadness, which was officially released in 2022. It's a film that was made in Taiwan by a Canadian filmmaker, Rob Jabaz. Um, Written and directed by Jabaz. The cinematography is by Je Li Bai. Um, Original music by Tech Char. Um, It stars um, Berant Zhu as Jim. Regina Le as Cat, Ying Ru Chen as Molly, and the Dark God himself, <laughs> Zhu Chiang Wang as the businessman.
0: Who <sighs> four I mean there are more than four people in the movie, obviously, but these oh, yeah. four people could have been alone and this movie still would have hit. Oh yeah. The performances in this film. So the sadness, yes, just recently released On Shutter, about a week or so ago from the time of this recording, so this is coming out a week after the recording. So you know, it's been out for a little while. I think most of you have had an opportunity to see the film. (laughs) I have been very nervous to see this film. I mean, all of my friends who are into like extreme horror, people that I've had on, like Kelly Gredner, John Patterson, all these people are like saying to me, like, "Yo, this fucking movie." Y'all brought in some pretty... What do you mean this fucking movie? You don't say that about movies. Uh, So, I'm happy to say I survived it. But um, for anybody who has not seen it yet, I'm just going to give you IMDb's synopsis. So you can decide for yourself if this is something you want to witness. Uh, But of course, we're going to get into spoilers. All all of it. Um, But first... (laughs) This is what IMDb has to say. A young couple trying to reunite amid a city ravaged by a plague that turns its victims into deranged, bloodthirsty sadists. (laughs) I think that's a pretty succinct and apt description of this film.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, there's really not a whole lot more that you can say about it. I I mean, let's put it this way. There's so much more to the film, but... That is possibly the most succinct uh, summation of what the basic premise concept actually is.
0: Yeah, it's an hour and 40 minutes, which is a nice, tight little runtime for it. And Mm -hmm. yeah, if you were to tell somebody what this movie is about, you're just like, just sadistic people while this couple's trying to find each other. That is the (laughs) core of the film. Yes. And then, of course like any good zombie film or an, honestly any good horror film, but especially the zombie genre tends to do this really, really well, or mm-hmm. kaiju films do this really well as well. Uh, there's a lot of social commentary. There are a lot of references to other films mm-hmm. and just so much creativity in one little film to the degree that I think sometimes some thoughts, I don't know how they get made on screen <laughs> uh, and then put in a mainstream audience but <laughs> it happened and i'm very happy that it did
1: <laughs> you know honestly i've actually started in like um the threads on twitter from shutter about the movie i've started hearing other people say it too is that this is a film that i thought would never be made yeah i i didn't think that there would be a director who could literally bring this type of material without compromise to the screen without, I don't know, getting basically the uh, somebody just shutting it down. I, 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 mm. I literally didn't think something like this would ever make it to the screen. And it did. And when it did, I, I was gobsmacked. I was just like, I've been waiting for this for so long. I can't believe it's here. I I mean, I I was really, I was very excited because like I said, I I didn't think really that anybody had the type of skill and joie de vivre to really, joie de vivre, to actually go for it full force. And Jabaz really did that. I mean, he's, already just with one film he's an incredible filmmaker and a very interesting person i did um i ran towards van gory and said i'm sure i could get an interview do you want it oh my god oh my god oh my god they're like what i'm like yeah i can do an interview i, was just, I, I mean of course i said it much more. Um,
0: Professionally.
1: calmly via <laughs> calmly and professionally via email but really i was just jumping up and down on my seat going yes i can do this i can do this right now just you say know yes. um, yeah so I, I was just like yes please let me interview this guy because uh, i even asked um raven banner before i had a go on the piece i was like hey do you Think he'd like to be very, and he's there like, Yeah, yeah, sure. That's how excited I was. I mean, I just about lost again, just about lost my mind after the first time I watched it. I, I had, and I will be quite honest, it's a lot like when I watched Solo. Like, I watched the first, mm. I think, with Solo, I watched the first half an hour and I had to turn it off to give myself a break and just, like, kind of reload myself to be able to deal with what I, w- I realized I was seeing. Um, with the sadness, I got about five, seven minutes in, and the attention was just like, oh, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And, like, it's the same thing. I had to turn it off, you know, just for, like, five, 10 minutes, and I turned back on, and I watched the hell out of it after that. I was just amped after watching it. It, it just... Oh, my God, what is happening? You know, it, it's like I said, it was kind of like a, a dream come true for my horror and uh, perverse uh, loving <laughs> self. <laughs> I, I just... I, I was I was stunned. I was so happy. I was I, I just wanted to scream at everybody. You need to watch this. And then I realized that other people would not share my enthusiasm, perhaps. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it
0: <That> does happen. <laughs>
1: they, yeah, yeah, a lot. Um, <laughs> like, Dolores, what are you talking about now? Um, but right to the point where I got to the the cartoon, where they, mm-hmm. you know, basically, Because a lot of things about, like, the zombie apocalypse films are kind of inverted, or he kind of plays with the whole idea. You know how, like, there's that standard thing, all the way back to, like, Dawn of the Dead, Night of the Living Dead, where, you know, there are announcements on TV, and then they're in the the television studio, and, Mm -hmm. you know, they're... The rescue stations and the announcements and they're and they're interviewing the scientists, blah 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 blah, all that stuff. He even plays with that, but he actually put like a a cartoon uh, that he had made previously. That's honestly just it's fascinating, but it's also really kind of smutty. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, you know that was the moment when I went wow, he's really going to go for it. Because it, it was just, I could hear everything. And and in particular, it, as soon as that happened, it, in as soon as that particular part of the film started happening, I was like, oh my God, this person has read The Crossed. <laughs> and I don't know if you're familiar with The Crossed.
0: I'm
2: not.
1: No. Okay. Um, the Crossed is... Uh, An extreme horror comic and it really is extreme it's you know it's even honestly it's a few steps more to the right than um the sadness uh it's an extreme horror comic about a viral plague where everybody who's infected turns into a maniac who's intent on cannibalism rape pretty much everything that you could possibly think that to do to other people that's horrible murder they just you name it they they did it uh-huh. there's particularly like a famous uh, <laughs> crossy crossed a plus face or or crossed who his name is horsecock. okay and why is his name horsecock? because he carries around a horse's cock Right. and he kills people with it
0: okay so that's his weapon of choice
1: Yes, it's his weapon of choice. And, um, you know, it was it was the same kind of feeling that I had when I read the first uh, Cross series, like it's by Garth en- Garth Ennis. It's pretty much the farthest I've ever seen any type of horror comic go because I love horror comics as well. But the more extreme, the better. Um, listen to me. Uh, no, it's really, I enjoy, uh, do I enjoy things that are extreme? Yes, I do. Yes, I very much. Why, why not? You know, is it real?
0: Yeah.
1: Is anybody getting hurt?
0: That's a good point. It is fiction.
1: It's fiction. This, there was actually recently, someone finally did a study and found that violent video games, movies, whatever, actually kind of take the edge off society Hmm. they they actually don't contribute to violence they actually kind of help people blow steam off so that they don't do violent things i think it came out in the last couple of days you know where everybody's always been oh my god all these violent lyrics video games they're causing all the violence no they're actually keeping people from going off the deep end because you, well, you get to exercise it by watching it and feeling it and, and, and you know, rather than, um, than going out and committing a crime, maybe you just sit there and write a song about it.
0: Right. Yeah. I see where you're getting at. Yeah.
1: Or, ri- or write a horror comic or, a story you, or yeah. you write a story where, you know, you whatever, whatever. You actually get it out of yourself. And then I fully believe that that's the purpose of art and that there are great artists out there that had they not become musicians (laughs) or directors might be famous for something else and be in jail
0: and and a lot of them if you i mean to use a very topical example uh take a guy like marilyn manson who you know had his heyday of getting all that out in his artistry and was pretty calm and docile just kind of Mm tell people just live your fucking lives And then the moment it kind of just fell apart and his whole social circle kind of fell apart and Mm -hmm. he was just left to not really create much anymore and just let himself kind of go, we got to see who he really was. Yeah. And, you know, all the accusations coming out now, it's like, well, we all kind of thought that you were capable of those things. But if you look at, like, the timelines of when all the accusations are coming about, it's all about the times Mm -hmm. that we kind of expected him to do that shit, too.
1: Yeah, Um, when he wasn't actively, like... When he wasn't in his heyday, when he was kind of Same. like off to the side, you know, kind yeah. of like mm, not really doing much. Yeah. And I really think there are, there are quite a few great artists. And I do not include Marilyn Manson in this.
2: Fair <laughs> Thank enough.
1: Thank you. Uh, <laughs> um, that had they not found their disciplines, might have. Yeah. They, they might be, like I said, famous for something else entirely. And it would not be good.
0: And it's, you know, I I mean, I'm there with you on this line of thought that art is a, you know, a gateway to releasing something that you can't quite put into that more conversational kind of modus with people. It's not necessarily a social thing that we can kind of put it into. So Mm -hmm. it becomes a creative thing. Uh, It's taking that kind of carnal part of you these feelings that we have feelings are very powerful things they drive us to do just just the wildest things some good some absolutely uh, abhorrent
1: it's it's all comes from the same place it's passion
0: yeah and uh, you know it does lead to stereotypes of course and the stereotypes and the way people like to politicize and shift and everything like that that can kind of cloud it all and then you get the the sentiments of well, only good art comes from a dark place and only when Mm -hmm. you're depressed and all that. And like, That's not true, but it is true to say that somebody who is feeling of strong emotion is more like, and they are an artist, they are probably more likely to be focused on their craft at the time when they don't have the ability to participate in a moral world very well. Because they have to kind of, you have to put yourself away, just distance for a bit and get it out in the art form so that mm-hmm. you don't do bad things. I think that is true for some people. And it's yeah. not to say that it's not true the other way around. Of course love is just as powerful of a thing and also mm-hmm. leads to some pretty horrible shit.
1: Oh it does. Uh, so, oh yeah. yes, it does, it certainly does. And that's that's one of the things that that I think people don't realize. They they, they segregate every all of the different emotions that we have. Into totally different things. Like these emotions are good. Love, happiness, you know, joy. That's all good. Mm. But anger, sadness, that's bad. And I think that's a really big mistake because, mm-hmm. um, I mean, sometimes when you're really happy, you cry. Right? And, you know, well. it, it, you know, it, and th- that's the thing is that. It Our emotions aren't that separate. You know, they're not easily quantifiable as good or bad. Yes. And passion itself, it's an incredibly powerful thing. And like I said, yeah, even, you know, passion for your love, your passionate love of your children or, you know, your passionate love. Feeling about art, you know, you you're passionate about anything, it can turn bad, just as easily as it can turn into something good. Exactly. You know, and it it's caught up largely with like, there there was somebody, I, I, God, it was phrased in a tw- in a funny way, but it, I think it's really one of the most uh, again one of the most succinct ways of describing art. And, and what they said was showing hog on film is not art. Just the act of showing a penis on film isn't mm-hmm. art itself. But the passion that compels you, and I'm paraphrasing here, to show hog on film is what makes art.
0: Hmm. Oh, yeah. I like that. Exactly. It's, we always look for, you know, artists' intent. And the reason mm-hmm. why it's important to sometimes strip that away is because it's not so much the motivations. It's the passion and the emotion that you're feeling behind it. Yeah. That makes it art. Yeah, with that, what drives you to it. Exactly. And what you are feeling as a viewer or a participant, a listener, what have you, is what makes it continue. It's not necessarily that you are going to share the intended emotions. Mm-hmm. It's just that, that there is one that you can relate to, however, whether it's walking out of the cinema, crying, <laughs> laughing, whatever it is, you know, yeah, coming back to it religiously <laughs> and being graveyards, yeah. uh, you know, like yeah, yeah,
1: <laughs> you know. Well, that's the thing is that that's that the fusion, the connection between the art and the viewer, is that you are. A, Brandon Cronenberg calls his films uh, communication between himself and the audience, but it's that that thing that makes art so powerful is its ability to reach you emotionally. You know, you can have something, a film with great cinematography, wonderful costumes, great sound design, beautiful cast. But if there's nothing emotionally for you to actually hook into, you're going to forget about it 20 minutes after you leave the theater.
2: Uh-huh. Because
1: that emotional linkage, you being able to relate to it and empathize with it, even if it's the most horrible thing you've ever seen, that makes you feel sick to your stomach, which like in the, in the case of Solo, you know, it's meant to make you sick it's meant to disturb you. It's, it's never meant to, to make you feel good.
2: Hmm.
1: Its purpose is to break your heart. And that's why it's such a powerful piece of filmmaking. And it is actually quite beautiful. And that's kind of why I was more interested in, talk, in talking um, on the disgust portion. Because so many people think that things that are disgusting – can't be beautiful and actually they can be very very beautiful and it's almost like when something is so horrible it kind of intensifies the beauty of what's actually going on there are many scenes in this film that are just gorgeous you know Mm -hmm. and what's going on is terrible you know it's awful awful behavior but there's just there's some, just moments of just I was like, wow, that's really beautiful. Oh my god, <laughs> you know, the, oh, yeah. the in particular the one scene um, after like most of the violence is over in the subway car, the one zombet, uh, <laughs> the one zom the one woman who the one infected woman who just stands there, with like her shirt ripped her breast is just there and she's just swaying gently back and forth with this beatific smile on her face like she's the happiest she's ever been
0: Mm-hmm. That that is an interesting thing yeah
1: for me that's one of the most beautiful parts of the movie and she probably just ripped somebody's throat out <laughs> you yep. know and th- that's the other thing it- it's very similar to there's um god there's a scene in dawn of the dead and i i don't think people are as affected by it as i am but the romero dawn of the dead um Mm -hmm. because actually i have some good things to say about the dawn of the dead remake by Zack snyder and and, uh, james gunn it has some really good beautiful moments as well but um there's a the point where uh, Galen Ross's character is sitting behind the glass while everybody went out to go get some stuff or whatever. And she's just sitting there, and there's just that one zombie just looking at her. Kind of like, huh. you know, just very gently. There's just this, like, gentle moment of rapport where she's looking at him like, like, she can't really believe that this is actually actually happening, even at uh-huh. this point. Like, she hasn't gotten to the point where she's accepted that this is life now. And the zombie is just kind of looking at her like... It's just this really gentle moment of, like, rapport between a human being and a zombie. Right. And the only reason that it's that gentle is because there's that pane of glass between them.
0: Yeah, it's like it's sizing up, like... It could. We don't know what thoughts could potentially be going through it. It, but the very least, it's this docile image. Of yeah, it's almost like seeing like a beast, a big wild animal, just stare at you from your window, like a bear being mm-hmm. outside. It can look gorgeous.
1: Yeah, just like, ah, look at me. Everything's so peaceful. <laughs> if this glass wasn't here, I'd be killing you right now. It's when it honestly. <laughs> it's one of the most terrifying moments of the movie for me because it's just them sitting there looking at each other and there's some, it's, it's somehow there was, I believe there was unit you know, cause you don't really see the zombies face much. It's mostly on Galen Ross's face. Hmm. She's just got this defeated look on her face. Like she's it's, it's kind of like the moment where she's starting to understand like she hasn't quite un- understood yet that, she hasn't understood in her bones that someone's not going to show up and say, "Okay, zombie apocalypse is over, everything's fine, you can go back to normal."
0: Yeah. That
1: that's never going to happen.
0: No, this is your new life now.
1: Yeah, that that part hasn't broken her yet, but she's getting. While she's looking at this zombie, it's starting to click. You can see it in her face. It's just this really perfect moment.
0: I think what you're seeing there is this. That realization, right? That you're seeing somebody who is not looking at that person as a person anymore. Mm -hmm. They are something else. And something recognizable. We can classify what it is. We've dealt with it for so long now that Mm -hmm. you can kind of see the signs. But obviously, we have such a history as a species of what humanity is supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. That it's just ingrained in you. Even if you were to be born into that, I can imagine that it would be a little foreign to you and scary. Mm -hmm. Um, and you take this movie that ha- it adds the element of speech to it, which I thought was fascinating for this mm-hmm. film. <laughs> yeah. I reminded me a lot of Pontypool, but <laughs> instead of it being you know transmitted through words, it's just, oh man, I've never seen a movie do this. It's, fact, it's like the whole fact that they went through a rage virus idea in the first place, you don't mm-hmm. see explored very often after 28 days later and 28 weeks later did their yeah. really strong takes on that. I loved, though, that they chose to, for the sadness, chose to give people that kind of, not all, I, well, yeah, autonomy to an extent. You know, at the very least, they are able to express themselves the way they would as people, mm-hmm. even if what they are expressing doesn't seem to align with how you know this person. But that's the thing. We don't necessarily know anyone the way that they know themselves.
1: Exactly. That's a scary thing. That's one of the one of the many frightening things about this film. You know, we kind of talked about it a little beforehand, but you know, one of the things that I found so terrifying about the sadness is that it seemed to exacerbate the worst qualities in any one person.
2: Uh-huh.
1: Like, in particular, the character, of the businessman, when he's human before he before he turns. Um, He's, yes, he is one of those guys who won't leave you alone on the subway train, but he's really, he doesn't seem like he's that bad. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. he's got some type of moral, like something in him is holding him back from really being as horrible and as obnoxious as he could be.
0: Yeah, there's etiquette at least.
1: Yeah, he, he at least has like that socialization where, okay, I'm not just going to grab this girl and start doing whatever I want because I'm a member of a society and yeah. that's not what you do. It's not right. You know, whether, he, whether that's what he wants or not, because I'm pretty sure that, you know, if he didn't have that particular – socialization that yeah that's exactly what would happen and Mm -hmm. once he turns boom that's what he what he really is comes out and that's what I that's what I think you know it takes all the most not, not not even all the worst but all the biggest emotions that you have the biggest basis drives that you have as a person and you don't have any breaks anymore you know, you don't have those those societal uh, breaks that say, don't do that.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: D- don't jump on that person because you're really horny and start having sex with them right then, right <laughs> then and there. Uh, you know, don't don't rip that person's throat out because they annoyed you. You know, and it it's really speaks to a lot of, you know, what human beings are. And um, in particular, I believe that, like, COVID-19, what I've observed is that, I th- and this is just a theory of mine, it seems to exacerbate whatever physical problems that you already have as a person. For example, my, my aunt got it, nearly died. She had a heart murmur before, um, before COVID. She got COVID. Had to have a heart valve replacement last last Christmas, so I really do believe that it takes whatever it is that you have, like physical ailment, you know, minor injury, and it makes it much worse. And that's one of the things that really disturbed me about it, about the sadness, is because you know when they talk about you know what the virus actually is, first of all, viruses mutate, mm-hmm. and as we've seen with COVID, it has a vi- it has a large neurological component, and it messes with your internal systems, your internal organs, of course, but it's also messing with you neurologically. If you know, you see what happens with people who get long COVID.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know people like, get fatigued, they get confused, a lot of fogginess from people, um, can't think straight.
1: Yeah, they, I forgot words. I'll be writing and I'll be like, what is that word? And it's uh-huh. a very simple word. It's not something that you have to look up in the thesaurus. And it takes now. – it's gone down since I got my first shot. But, um, you know, there would be times where I'd be sitting there for 15 minutes trying to remember a, a word that everybody knows.
0: I'm happy to hear you say that just because with the, you know, bounce of COVID that I've had, never mm-hmm. even thought of it as COVID. Uh, I was wondering if I was just having another, like, nervous breakdown or something. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've had that too. And I know that, you know, with having ADHD, I know that short-term memory can get lost and, and mm-hmm. make you confused, but the level to which I've had it over the last two or so years has been disconcerting sometimes. Because, like you mentioned, uh, there will be normal words. It's just like mm-hmm. a, like the word door or something. Yeah. The thing, the
1: thing Bicycle.
0: To, yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah. That thing with wheels.
0: I, yeah. Yeah. Every concept around it. You know what you're talking about, but you're just like, I my vocabulary has failed me. And I don't yeah. know
1: why. Yeah. Well, and that, and I'll tell you, you know, it's not something that I've talked about a lot. Um, uh, my background is kind of horrible in a lot of ways. And I have basically amnesia about most of my life. Hmm. Like, I don't, I don't remember the stuff that happened two days ago. Like, I forget yeah. everything. I forget nearly everything. Um, that's just the way it is. It's, I'm a shark. I move forward. And it it occurred to me that that's the particular version of long COVID I got because I already have this, I I call it, I don't even know if it's a proper term for it, a retrograde amnesia where I just Mm -hmm. literally forgot. I I don't have memories of like when I was seven years old. Like I know what happened,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: but I can't remember it. Like, just like I can't remember what happened two weeks ago or two days ago very well.
2: Fair.
1: And I think that's, that's why long COVID messed with me that way because I already have that. It's like a a self-protective thing. But, you know, it manifested itself as me just not being able to remember I put something in the oven
2: Mm. five
1: minutes ago and setting bagels on fire and, um... Because I did that early on, I <laughs> said I literally set a bagel on fire, um, and and also not being able to remember words, you know stuff that I know Wow. very very well. Um, so that's what I think, and that's that's one of the things. You know, I never really talked about it in like my reviews, but that's one of the things that disturbed me the most about this film, is that it really made the worst or the most. Um,
0: like extreme,
1: extreme. Yeah. I shouldn't even say worse. I think the most extreme desires and fantasies that people have into reality, like mm-hmm. there, there's just not that thing that's going to make them stop, you know, go, you know, have that thing that comes up. That would be wrong. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's not do that because that would be wrong. Um, And, you know, it it happens occasionally, like sometimes you get particularly when you're horny, you know, you start going along on that, that pleasure route. And you're just like, you start doing things that you normally would not do and that, you know, you find yourself being ashamed of later. And I think it's kind of related to that as well, that, that overriding passion related to our sexual drives, that are very difficult... Once you get into it, are very difficult to get out of. And it it, it relates violence to that sexual drive, in a way.
0: Well, it it makes a very direct link to it in the way that they explore how it affects the brain, according to the film. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I, I really... That's one of the things that made it so fascinating to me was how it does take this direct look at things that are quote unquote normal for us mm-hmm. to do. And I, and I want to make that clear for anybody who's like, wow, well, it's not very normal for me. Well, I'm, we're talking purely and simply on if it is a drive you have. So, mm-hmm. um, hence, you know, everybody does kind of manifest everything in a different way in the film. I loved that. Everybody was very uniquely involved in this. Cause you still mm-hmm. had some social circles and people who were, Friends with each other, and they're, you know, they, for instance, they said like they wouldn't hurt each other because they needed people to suffer in order Mm -hmm. to get joy out of it. But you don't necessarily see it happen that way in the film because you do have the guy who's being tortured. And mm-hmm. then when he goes to, like, cut him out and stuff, he's like, why are you doing that? I was about to, you know, hit, reach orgasm, yo. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, were you just infected the whole freaking time? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> this when is he like did- a kink scene? What is going
1: on? Oh, my God. When he did that, because I was sitting there and, you know, the character, <laughs> Baron Zeus character, you know, he is very moral, you know. Yeah. He, he, and he's such, he's a good person. And of course he rushes in to try and save someone. And when that happens,
2: like, Oh my God. no!
0: The whole scene, I was like, Jim, just go away. This is not your fight, bud. Like you have a goal in mind. You you need to stay focused and you need to, you were missing two fingers. You Mm -hmm. need to survive. Yeah. That's what I love about this film because it, I mean, not okay. It's not the only thing. I keep saying that I have a tendency to talk in like these very strong. This is the only thing. No, okay. <laughs> no, uh, that's one of the things I love about this film.
1: You can love more than one thing about this film. This film yeah. is it, it's so good. I mean, it's uh, well, I, I, you know, I think I've said it before, it's really top 10 zombie apocalypse film for me. It knocks something out of the top 10 that I'm that I normally have there. I don't Ooh. know what yet. But <laughs> it, it's it's a top 10 zombie movie for me. It's also one of the best films of 2021. It's mm-hmm. perfectly executed and just so, so much. I mean, I cried.
2: Hmm.
1: You know, I, 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 do I normally cry during zombie movies? No.
2: Uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> you know, like... Ah, people are getting. But uh, yeah, it was very affecting emotionally. But also, just watching this the the terror I, and like I said, the the whole whole situation with the zombies being able to, for me, was so much worse. The fact that they, because you know, like Walking Dead zombies, you know, the Romero zombies, you know. Um. It's not just that they can move fast; it's that they can think, and that's yeah. that's the worst part. It, that also came up in um, the girl with all the gifts.
0: Oh, I haven't seen that one yet.
1: If you, you that's another really good one. It's 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 okay. more it's a fungal, um, spore, okay. an, like infection. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's what that is. It's not a viral thing, but the Hungries, as they call them. Um, they're able to think and plan, and to me that's so much worse because, you know, Walking Dead—you poke them in the right place in the brain, boom, they're dead. They're never gonna set a trap for you. Mm-hmm. These zombies can. They're they're perfectly capable of it. They're they're capable enough. Depend and it, they're so individualized, and that's actually very in line with the. Plot of the cross series it really varied per zombie some of okay. them were very calm and able to reason like I said set traps and def- delay gratification <laughs> which is a, a phrase one of my ex-boyfriends loved to talk about you know, mm-hmm. delay gratification he can never delay any type of gratification um, <laughs> you know it's and that's the thing. That's what makes it so much worse is because they're able to say, you know, there's some you're just going to go out, grab everybody, start ripping throats out, killing everybody, blah, 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 blah. But because, and oh God, someone's brought out the weed whacker.
0: Oh yeah. Can you hear that? I can hear that, but we'll, we'll oh, push God.
1: through. <laughs> okay. So they, they have... They have a certain amount of intelligence, and some of them have a certain amount of control enough so that, because they really want to make you suffer, that they're going to be able to wait.
0: Right, I like the businessman. This one,
1: yeah, the businessman. He's he's the worst one, you know. And uh, Rob Jabaz calls says that the actor has a dark god energy. He really does.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's like the virus freed everything about him and that evil but also very controlling part of him that just wanted what he wants and he's going to get what he wants you know even if he has to kill you it doesn't matter he's gonna he's gonna get his way it's just so frightening
0: it it is and it shows a lot about people that we see kind of cropping up in the face of our current landscape i mean we've had what was it three mass shootings in the span of about a week and a half all of them mm-hmm. s- well one of them we don't know the motivations but two of them clearly racially and politically motivated mm-hmm. and they come from this place of people thinking that they can just exert their feelings and they're they they do not have to you know, basically the the world's falling apart. I might as well just do what I want to do now and I will get what I want and I will behave the way that I want. And I think this film is a great depiction of, it kind of looks like a, a critique on repression of oneself. Mm-hmm. Not to say that repression of your actions, but repression of your thoughts and demeanor as well. Taking mm-hmm. this businessman as an example, you were saying, it. you know, he's that guy, right? The guy that we see kind of talking too much to the girls and you kind of want to be like is everything okay over here because you see that the person's very uncomfortable who's being spoken to mm-hmm. but he's not doing anything necessarily he's not saying anything aggressive he's even like well geez I'm sorry I just wanted to be friends and you're going to call the police whereas uh, like now see I, everybody I just saw this movie the moment before we started so <laughs> Uh, Some details are a little hazy, but uh, Cat. So, you know, Cat, I think, was absolutely very cognizant and aware of the situation and was responding very appropriately to kind of push this guy away from her verbally. Mm -hmm. But what we're seeing here is he's doing everything in this box of etiquette as if that makes it okay that he still wants to get up in her personal space and he Mm -hmm. still feels as if he belongs in other people's lives because he wants it. Even Mm -hmm. if it is this mild, casual, hey, what are you reading? kind of thing. That's what we're seeing more and more of This, You know what we see when people don't want to wear masks for other people's safety. Mm -hmm. It's because you're so used to being in your own bubbles, even at home. If you're just staying at home and you don't go out and that's how you keep people safe. I can imagine that it's hard to get adjusted to masks because you don't have to do that at home. Yeah. Then you also can get this kind of feeling of like, but I don't want to. And then this kind of childish freak out kind of takes place in certain people. Mm-hmm. And if you repress things, though, if you don't acknowledge the fact that maybe you do have urges that are not very wholesome, that yeah. are very dark and yes. just human, explore those safely. Explore yeah. them by writing. Talk about it to, to people that you trust. Just actively think about them. But when you have these people who are – to paint an example of an individual that I think is like a real-world equivalent is a guy like Ted Cruz oh god he walks with this but i am being more vigilant and calm demeanored and than everybody else around me i'm being so i'm as a word see there we go a word is failing me um (laughs) yeah isn't quite it but you know what i mean like appropriate if you will yeah fuck appropriateness fuck not being able to tell somebody that you are upset that that children have been murdered recently. I'm sorry everybody. I have to talk about it just a little bit because it's fine Yeah, no, it's
1: it, no, it it's it's perfectly fine with me. I I think it's horrifying and it, the fact that this has been going on so long. I mean, cuz this isn't the first time yes. it's ever happened.
0: No, and it, in in hundreds and hundreds of years this shit happens. And for yeah. as long as we have this like etiquette system, this cordiality where you can't even just say, "Hey, uh, I'm into some kink, you know, like you can't even do that in front of people without them. Like, you can't say that you can't do that. Well, mm-hmm. if you have a vi in this fictional scenario, if you have a virus that goes unleash all of that, that you've never explored, mm-hmm. this is what you get. You yeah. Get people who just go fucking wild. I, yeah. I another good contrast, because I, I don't want to harp up too much on the, the very real horrors there. I, I, I just find it topical. It's also why I bring it up. But yeah, you do have Jim who spoiler (laughs) we're getting spoilers now big ones (laughs) yeah like any good uh, zombie movie you do have your hero succumb to it in some way or if you look at night of the living dead unceremoniously is treated as if which we also in this movie yeah Uh, but with jim you're talking about passion right the extreme emotions that we experience i love Mm -hmm. that jim is so true in his love for cat that when the gate is closed and he has no ability to get to her to hurt her, because that's one just the fleshy carnal thing that he's kind of feeling at that moment, mm-hmm. he very easily turns back into, like, my love for you would like to tell you that I've never been happier. He just appeals to her and it's, it mm-hmm. seems so evil and sadistic Ugh. and it's, it's so blurry.
1: It's so chilling. It's just chilling. It's so chilling because, you know, people think of love as only being one thing. And, you know, there are certain explorations. Um, there's a song by um, the Brian Jonestown Massacre okay. called Wisdom. And it's all about this guy just, you know, basically saying, well, you're saying that I can't have sex with you. Well, he says... I can't make love. You first. You say I can. Then you say I can't. Do you love me? Huh. At the very end of the song, very softly, the lyrics are like: First you say it's okay. Then you say there's no way that I'm making love to you. Hmm. But um, it just it just gets so soft. Like you can barely hear it. The the vocal is almost buried. Under the mix. Yeah, it's, if I thought I knew the reason why I've gone and fallen in love with you, you're the one thing I believe in, and I know quite well what I'm going to do. And here's here's the last verse. The one that you can barely hear. It's really almost subliminal. But first you say it's okay, then you say there's no way that I'm making love to you. You're the one thing I believe in, and I'll get my way, or I'm going to kill you. Jeez. It's it's honestly it's one of the most just beautiful gentle love songs right up until that moment and then suddenly it just hits you with a hammer and that it, it, I was it, you when you when you're describing that's the la, the final scene with Jim and Cat mm-hmm. that's what I'm thinking of
0: that's exactly how I felt because it feels so pure and then you absolutely think, pure it's so pure in the sense that. Love is your emotion. It's mm-hmm. your desire still. Yes. And we, we get so caught up in love feeling that because I love this person or this thing so much, mm-hmm. obviously it's appreciative and obviously it agrees or they agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, when even if it's to a certain extent and you have consent and you have uh, an agreement... You're Mm -hmm. not the other person. They have no idea what their love is like other than what they tell you. So I love that we see a literal divide between Jim and Kat in that moment where Kat is given the opportunity to make her own decision here.
1: Mm -hmm. And just he starts with that whole thing of like, essentially, I love you. And I love you so much that I want to kill you. And that's... That's, that's the thing is that, you know, there's this whole thing where, um, you know how, uh, like some, I don't know if you've ever heard like, uh, parents, you know, saying to kids, oh, you're so, you're so adorable. I love you so much. I'm just going to eat
0: you up. I had something similar to that today with my stepmother. She's like, I just want to pop your head off. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, You know, but it, but that's the thing. There's that. The, one of the most profound things about the film is, is in the ending that how connected, you know, because of the extreme passions that are involved in true love and, and desire and physical desire, that it kind of crosses over into violence in a way. You know what I mean? In
0: a lot of ways.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the, the sexual act, the, um, the violence of passion itself, particularly like when you're just getting started out with something, Mm -hmm. um, when you're in a new relationship or affair, um, just how strong it is. But in that moment where, as you pointed out, there's that literal divide. And again, it's, it's kind of, it's also, I, I put, bring it back to that Dawn of the Dead scene, where that, there's that segregation. It's the only thing that's keeping that violence from exploding, is that physical barrier.
0: Mm-hmm. Which happens here, too. That's why the mm-hmm. conversation changes. He was just screaming and hollering up until that point, until he realized the door is not going to get open. No. So then he just tries to, I mean, obviously he's trying to get her to open it so he can hurt her. Oh, yeah. But I do feel that there is also an honesty there. That's the one thing I did feel about everything that was, uh, maybe it says a lot about me, but a very beautiful thing about that illness is that you are the most true and honest version of yourself you could ever be. Exactly. There's no, there was no lies. There's no deceit. Everybody's very honest about what they're thinking and feeling and doing, and you can act accordingly if you so wish
1: yes and you know one thing that jabaz and i talked about in the interview and i didn't i didn't make the cut because i only had a certain amount of words was that you know why it's called the sadness
0: oh yes would love to hear this the reason why it's
1: called the sadness is that yes all of our base all of the, the zombies basest instincts and most powerful violent drives are unleashed. But at the same time, th- their rational mind is still in there. Uh-huh. So you notice when there's normally some kind of tell with zombification, right? like in Dawn of the Dead, th- their skin gets really dry uh-huh. crunched up and they start turning gray. The tell is in their skin. Right. Basically, they're. It looks like they're. Um, they're mummifying.
0: Yeah, and then 28 days later, you have like their eyes start going red.
1: Yeah, the eye. The eyes go red. There's always a tell. And in the sadness, the tell is the tears.
0: Yeah, beautiful image too. When
1: you start seeing the tears flowing from the person's eyes, you know they're they're turning. And what Jabaz said to me was that. It's because that person is still in there, and they know what they're doing. So that's why it's the sadness, because even though on you know the the surface level, you know they're having the greatest. <laughs> what is it? What is it that they they say? You're living your best life as a zombie. <laughs> there, there's still that that rational human part. Of them inside and that's why the tell comes out that's why they cry uh-huh. because it it hurts them right they know exactly what they're doing
0: yeah and it's at the end of the film where that's kind of explained a little bit too by the doctor
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, he but he's going off on this huge rant and tangent. It's very, it's just kind of slipped in there. He's like, he's just theorizing that perhaps it's what it is. And I was feeling that from the, the beginning, but I'm really yeah. happy to hear that that's what that is, is that, and what the thing is, what I, I don't know about you, but for me, like what impacts me about that is I get a kind of a push pull feeling because mm-hmm. I don't really know which side of that kind of dynamic that you would have the, the carnal being true to yourself side versus this rational side that's mourning the loss of all of the the systemic structure and stuff that you have, and the more the moral structures.
1: Yeah, the moral the moral code that you have that, yeah. that it's overriding.
0: It's such a cross wiring of things. You know, it's like a short circuit to even experience to watch it because there are so many moments in the film where it's kind of like that doesn't. From the, pers- from the perspective of somebody who is experiencing the virus, it ain't so bad, is it? I mean, you have yeah. the whole orgy scene in the <laughs> hospital as well. Or it's like, yeah, like- that looks like a pretty good time, honestly. <laughs> they're just kind of having fun. Hey, look at them, they're so freaking happy. Yeah. Uh, and, but then there's also that aspect of, if you know that, you know, I, I guess the sadness also comes into play with, like, that feeling that, you're going to get back to normalcy. Actually, there's a whole episode of Rick and Morty, oddly enough, that touches upon this, where mm-hmm. uh, they have to go to doomsdays. So they have to go to different like multi- like dimensions where they're having a planet that's about to die mm-hmm. to do something specific. Or they're just doing it for fun, I think. Just kind of like, hey, the end of the world parties and stuff.
2: All right.
0: And there's one of them that they go to that everybody's just having mass orgies. They're just, they're committing, like, all these aliens <laughs> are committing incest, all kinds of stuff. And they it yeah. through some fight, Rick and Morty actually stop the apocalypse from happening. Yeah, and so then like the they always do like a little post credits (laughs) thing in each episode, and they have the the, like the dad and the son that they say like we're father and son when they had the orgy. They cut to them just like in their little shop. Did you tell mom? You know (laughs) all little things. (laughs) And there is like. You just hear the mother crying in the background. It's like, yes, no. no. What I did. And so just yeah, th- that exploration. And I think that's something that's always going to be there in those people is this feeling that you're still seeing. I will oh, take it back to the uh, Dawn of the Dead. You're still seeing each other as people. Mm-hmm. When due to this virus, you are something entirely new in a psychological sense. Yeah. Because that id is kind of taking over if you will to yeah. i said to my partner i wouldn't say that but she she said it i'm gonna give her credit i don't really understand psychoanalysis all that well yeah but i do understand the id just a bit and yeah it's just that 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 drive is kind of what's given the the driver's seat if you will, yeah for once
1: well that's the thing is you know the doctor you know talks about um the limbic brain and yeah. um Specifically, you know, what I, what I spoke about in the review is that limbic anger. The, and what it is is that, that anger that you have that you can't control, that you just go off. Right. You know. And um, I have that. like, oh, And, I, and I, I struggle to contain it sometimes. But that's hardwired into our actual physical being. It's, it's mm-hmm. in our nervous system. It's not something that we can stop ever. It's just there, just along, along with a lot of our other primal drives. And it's that, it's really the, I don't want to say the mystery, but it's really the, the, the tragedy of, but also the thing that, that makes us exactly what we are as a species is the fact that we are both animal and rational. Yes. And that that juxtaposition, in a lot of ways, is going to always make us somewhat unhappy. Mm. Because we're now, and that's the kind, I think the, the point of the sadness is that In a way, I think all of us kind of wish we could just do whatever the fuck that we want, whenever we want. Yeah, go have an orgy in the middle of the street with whoever. (laughs) Multiple whoever's. Yeah. But afterwards, yeah, like the Rick and Morty thing. How would you feel afterwards? You know, you got all, you got your jollies. You know, you got what you really desire deep down that totally throws everything into the face of society you got what you wanted okay now what how do you deal with that
0: and depending on the person uh does it affect you at all i mean that's where i guess privilege comes into play here as well we do know that privileged people kind of already do this stuff yes they don't they do. really have the moral compass because they don't have the same regulations that the average citizen has put upon them laws don't yeah. apply to them the same way they can buy their way out of anything
1: yeah they they don't see ever see punishment so no. and, and that's that's another thing too is that you know there are people who probably would have no problem doing stuff like this they're already there
0: i am a little shocked and maybe this is some grounds for a sequel perhaps so Mm -hmm. you know hey if they're listening uh, (laughs) you know i am a little surprised that there wasn't a character in the film that was just kind of shitty before it you know and just kind of kept doing what they do because the businessman comes the closest yeah but he is still that really kind of wimpy businessman at work Who's probably just told by his boss what to do, even though he's worked there for 50 years and yeah. kind of stuff. And so he's just kind of like enough and exploding to just be who all these people that he's been put down upon are on a daily mm-hmm. basis. I'm yeah. so curious what kind of a character you would get from someone who is just that way. The closest I guess we got was the. Was he the second? He's part of the ministry of, I want to say, pharmaceuticals or at least medicine for the country. Yeah. When, yeah. The grenade scene. You know, <laughs> he's just kind of like, I don't, I just want to kill the president, so fuck it. And he just kind of did, you know?
1: Was that just, was that just, that was just, that scene was just like chef's kiss and just the reaction of so everybody good. in the room watching like, oh, we're. What the fuck do we do now? Basically, it's like, it's basically like, oh, yeah, we're totally fucked. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and how they immediately started coming at each other, which is such a great commentary on what happened with this pandemic. Like, the moment you feel that your government or anybody who was supposed to be there to protect you and to understand this goes, I don't really know. You go, then I just do whatever the fuck I want to. Mm-hmm. And people just kind of, oh, it's a, it's every you know person for themselves and, and mm-hmm. started really... It. Uh, the the phrase that kept coming into my mind, you, you have like, we always have this kind of us versus them mentality just about anywhere in the world. But it yeah. became like me versus the world mm-hmm. when, when the pandemic really started to rage and kick in because you were told to stay home. And those of us who really took it at the heart were not necessarily doing it because the government said so. It was just because we yeah. were listening to multiple options and anybody that we trusted, who's sound of mind and, and good at survival skills and stuff, mm-hmm. corroborated this of what the best course of action to do was. Yeah, uh, and some people did do it just because that's what they were told, and that they are perfect candidates for something like the Alvin virus because they're still repressing, they're still just doing what they're told, they're not thinking for themselves. But you know, it, you do still get this whole, and I guess it's me versus everybody else because even the people who are doing the same thing as me are mm-hmm. doing it for such different reasons that we can't agree on a fundamental level why we are doing things and what we care about. So mm-hmm. you 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 see your divides and your disconnects with other people and that's a shocker for a lot of people who just thought that you were on the same page about mm-hmm. everything. And you're like, "Oh, no, honey, like we have like four pages in this book that are similar, and they're not even the same." Yeah. <laughs> so we have different type font and everything.
1: Yeah, it it's there's really just so much that you could just think about. There's so much to think about in with this film, and yes, it, it was kind of a perfect time for it, you know, because actually, uh, what I heard was that it's literally the the most popular debut of a non-English speaking film on Shutter ever.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's it's That's number true. one, yeah. and I mean, there really wasn't a whole lot of like marketing merchandising you know they did like some announcements but I don't know how everybody knew about it you know that many people I mean I've been telling everybody I could possibly um (laughs) I could possibly get to listen to me for more than 30 seconds that they needed to watch it you know but I mean with that big of a debut word of mouth must have been incredible
0: it really was the festival circuit for this film I, I caught wind of this one already sometime in twenty twenty one and it went underneath my radar of what I was able to see just from you know me living in Amsterdam. I have to hit the virtual ones and even then mm-hmm. they have to not be geo locked. And then I also yeah. have to have time to do it. So, True. Just all those things just have kept me from being a good reviewer. So I kinda of stopped kinda of <laughs> yeah. myself to that. I was like y'all are better that the you do your thing. Uh, yeah, and, yeah and I, I, I just can't do it.
1: this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do
0: this. Uh, but in this case, like, the sadness has been on my radar for quite a while. And I will say, yeah, that Shudder hit was what really did it. That's when some of the people that I could tell hadn't even seen a little glimpse of it or heard any wind kind of drifting in the, in the area. were just mm-hmm. going, what is this movie? You know, but I guess it's also a testament to Shutter's popularity and growth. Also, yes, the the Chainsaw Awards kind of kicking up their collaborations with Fangoria, Boulet Brothers, a lot of mainstream appeal. Of course, uh, Last Drive-In as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just think that Shudder has now gotten to a point where they create mainstream rather Mm -hmm. than dragging mainstream in for appeal.
1: Yeah, Um, I would agree with that because, I mean, I've been a subscriber since 2016. I I literally I was in line at Beyond Fest and a Shudder rep. Was walking down the line, going, "Hey, would you like to try do a free trial of Shutter?" So I said, "Sure, why not?" Um, so I've been I've been subscribing to them for that long.
0: You've seen the transformation, then.
1: I've totally seen the transformation. But um, I mean, if you actually go and look at Jabaz's pay Jabaz Jabaz, um, not sure how Canadians pr- pronounce that. This movie won a crapload of awards. Hmm. at the festivals a bunch of awards rightfully so i honestly i knew as soon as it actually got out there a lot of people were going to watch it and there were a lot of people who were going to love it despite the fact that you know it's all like, oh, the most thing i've ever seen oh my god it's so extreme <laughs> um it, it didn't matter and because he has such a light touch with it
0: oh yeah it's very watchable
1: yeah, it's it's incredibly watchable, but also, like you know, like I said, you know, a lot of it has is very similar to the cross, which is very extreme. It's also very extreme, but he's got such a light touch with the material that even though he's doing things that are really just awful, <laughs> you know, it doesn't have that. Maybe it does to some people, but of I, I think it's much more. It's much more watchable than, say, some some of the more extreme films and um, relatable in a lot of ways, I think. Because a lot of people can look at it and say, well, yeah, I have always wanted to do some really antisocial things. And I can understand. And, oh, my God, I'm actually seeing this happen. Uh You know, and it's – I think it's eye-opening for a lot of people. You know, there's also the visceral thrill of being able to see that stuff, but also – uh, and I, I talked to Jabaz about this in, in the Fangoria review is because I believe um, like The Crossed actually has a moral core. It really is. Did there, the very first um, series, I mean, there's a lot of cannibalism in it. There's a lot of rape. There's a lot of just really awful, horrible things in it but it has a moral core. It's basically showing you like this is what we're like when we don't control ourselves. You know? This this is what can happen. You know, say if we all decided to throw off our moral chains and do whatever the hell we wanted.
0: Yeah. The conflict would be immense.
1: Oh, yeah. And that's kind of what the the moral thing is is that and you know it explores other things. Cowardice, You know, because once, you know, it starts getting to, people can start getting put to it, you know, like, do you stand up and maybe get killed or worse? (laughs) Um, Because there is actually worse than being, just being killed. Mm -hmm. What do you do? Do you hide and survive or do you go out fighting? What do you do? It, it, It asks a lot of moral questions. You know, what type of person are you? When it comes down to this, what type of person are you? When when Cat saves Molly's character, she didn't have to. She could have just run away.
0: I was shocked, actually. I was like, "Girl, get out of there! What are you doing? Like, she's gone. Leave her." <laughs>
1: yeah, no. And but that's the thing. That's not who Molly is. Then that's the thing. Is that both Molly and Jim are very moral characters, and watching the trans the slow transformation. Via, you know, infection, that makes it even worse because they fought the entire time to do the right thing. And once they're infected, it doesn't matter.
0: That That's where a lot of the, the bleakness kind of comes in. I think where a lot of people were kind of shocked, too, because there is this cynical, almost nihilistic glee to the film. Kind of oh, like yeah. showing... You have Jim, you have Kat. Now, if you're on their side the whole way through, you're Mm -hmm. just, you're terrified, you're tense. This conversation we've been having about, you know, the the nature of humanity and seeing it and being shocked by it. However, if you've ever been in a situation where you've had to survive and you've had to really be a bit more cutthroat just to make Mm -hmm. sure that... and you can still be moral in these situations, by the way, to make sure that everybody else is okay. You can just kind of assess situations and see what do I need to do in the situation, regardless of, you know, you can't just always be a hero and jump in like him jumping in with the, the guy getting beaten up and him not assessing the situation. We not can early. go like, what a very moral, upstanding, wonderful person. I was looking at him like, what a fool you are in a situation where this is the worst possible scenario. Everybody's gone completely bonkers and violent as hell. They're saying shit on your PA systems that they're going to, you know, compl- you, fuck you up and fillet you and, and all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to go out and not, like, just try to get out of here. I get if you can save somebody, but also just seeing how things were with the guy, I'm like, put him out of his misery and go. You know, if, yeah. if you want to be kind, just look at him like he wasn't going to be walking away and recovering from that shit anytime soon. No, that's where this naivety comes into play, because I think that's something that's worth criticizing to a certain extent in, in this whole pandemic that we've been in, too. If you have too much of a a moral code where you can mm-hmm. sit behind your computer and just bitch at people about what they should do and how they should feel and what they should be doing Are you actually helping people? Are you helping people survive? Are you contributing to the strengthening of your communities? Are you contributing to making sure people have water? All the things that you say people should be doing. What are you doing? Other than just bitching and moaning about morality. And I like that we see that Jim and Kat, those survivalists, let's be honest, a lot of their survival has been, wow, that crazy shit over there happened and I'm over here. Mm -hmm. Uh, a lot of them is them observing
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's just basically we're in the right place at the right time to not get filet
0: exactly and I found that so fascinating to watch because again it pulls you in two different directions if you kind of you know really feel like if you've already kind of gotten a little comfortable as well with your more carnal urges and you can talk to that side of yourself you can kind of look at these people and be like ah ah I mean I hope you make it because you're very nice
1: (laughs) But (laughs) But, I don't think you're gonna. uh, Yeah, I don't know if that's gonna work out for you.
0: (laughs) No, which is good horror movie stuff too. You always need to have characters where you're like, I wouldn't do a damn thing you did in this movie.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Or or alternate. It it also has a more emotional impact. You mentioned um the eyes turning red in uh in twenty eight days later, but Mm -hmm. in twenty eight days later, there's the dad. Oh, what a man! Just a fine man good upstanding wonderful dude and he just makes a mistake one mistake one yeah. it's just one mistake and boom and you know that's also you know speaks to the just the randomness of the violence but also yeah you're just in the wrong place
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and that's life because you know i think largely our survival as individual human beings has a lot to do with just being in the right place,
0: being in the right place, having the right people around you. Yeah.
1: Or, or just not being in the place where the car comes up over the curb and runs you over.
0: Absolutely. A lot of luck,
1: blind luck or blind chance, you know, and that's, One of the most terrifying things in the universe, I think, is the fact that you're never really safe. You know, you think you are. We convince ourselves that we are, but we're not. We never have been. We're never in control, and we're never safe, ever. It's not how things work.
0: Every second. I mean, if you think about the things that we could list off on just being on this planet, doing what we do, like you said, a car coming around the curb, your ceiling could fall in, you could trip and fall toothbrush goes whatever there are accidents that can happen you could just every have day a medical problem but it goes mm-hmm. even deeper than that like if you just think about how like in a flash this planet could just disappear the universe is just well this is there to kill us you know
1: yeah i mean uh, just the right sized right sized asteroid or meteor comes mm-hmm. through Solar and it flare. does and it it doesn't go the right way boom yeah. we're, de- we're all dead
0: we're very lucky to have all the history that we have and value and mm-hmm. to be able to explore the depth of our ability to feel and understand. It's mm-hmm. yeah. such a beautiful thing. And I'm so happy. Thank you, universe, for giving us the <laughs> ability and time to do that. Yeah. But you got to you got to know the that little bit of futility. I think it humbles you just a bit if you do that. To so mm-hmm. where you live your life according to like, I like, you know, it all comes back to what you were saying at the beginning of our conversation, how you've lived a life where you've tried to put the best that you can do into everything that you do while not hurting other people along the way. And that's the thing. If you kind of realize your own mortality, the futility of even struggling against chance,
2: Mm -hmm.
0: why would you go out of your way to make other people suffer?
1: Yeah. What, What would be the point of that? I mean, why? Who are you?
0: Who are you exactly?
1: Yeah. You're not God. Not that I believe in God, but, um, you know, there was one. It's not you. Yeah, (laughs) certainly. It it definitely, dude, you're from the Valley. It's not you. (laughs) No, sorry. (laughs) You know, and Uh, you know, that's the thing. And it goes back to like, um, the businessman and his dark God energy. hmm. he's, He's become the god of his own little world. Everything is his. Everything he wants.
0: And all it takes is a fire extinguisher and somebody else who says, that's not true.
1: Yeah, not gonna, Nah, Love that's that. not happening. Like, exactly. And th- that's one of the most, uh, again, also one of the most beautiful things in, in the film is how that happens. It's just like, nope.
0: Nope. And we're done. Like this, this yeah. chick had enough of his shit. It's
1: Basically, okay. yeah. And that's one of the things that I really, really enjoyed. Is honestly, is Kat in that moment where she's just like, essentially, fuck this.
0: Yeah. And she, no more. So there's a lot of other stuff in this film on on a not even on that more global pandemic level or humanity you know nature of humanity level, but it's just simple things like. And I say simple. This is still devastating stuff for a lot of people, but you yeah, know, like how women are treated in society, and, and how mm-hmm. you know I, I loved Hankat's story. You see her being coddled by Jim from the very beginning. You mm-hmm. know, he he makes decisions. For instance, he takes her to work on his motorcycle, but then he apologizes for stopping to look at the the crime scene is if she's, because she's a woman, she's too frail to have the emotions to see that shit. When it's like, mm-hmm. she's an adult, I think you're both going, what the fuck is that?
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. basically. Like, yeah. I, I, I'm interested in how this could affect me. <laughs>
0: yeah. And yeah. you see that constantly. Don't go, baby. I'll be with you. I want you to let you know mm-hmm. I love you. You need to have all this affirmation because you're a woman. Yada, 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 yada. And she just very mm-hmm. really quietly just, she seems very passive through the start of it. But really, mm-hmm. I think she's just enduring men throughout this film. Yeah. And I love that we finally get... I don't know the character's name of this guy, but you have the guy, the really shitty guy who almost kills them by closing the door on them. Oh, God. First, he gets punched by Molly. Yeah. And then she just goes... uh, Cat just full-on elbows his ass in the face and finally breaks his nose after he's been telling people they are bitching and moaning too much. Yeah. Um, Her progression of taking care of herself... She's the most pure survivalist of the entire film. It's just... When she starts to drag Molly with her, I'm like, you're dragging an injured individual with you in the middle of like an outbreak. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't necessarily. You're a very kind person, but
1: uh, she. Well, that's the thing. She's very kind and she's very moral, and she's also, yeah. also, and and you didn't specifically mention this, but it's the truth. She's very strong.
0: She's a powerhouse.
1: She she decides. That this is not the way it's going to be on more than one occasion, and the first mm-hmm. occasion is when she she grabs Molly. She has no reason. It, it's not to her benefit to save Molly, but she still does. Molly needs her. That and that's the thing. She real. That's the thing. I think she realizes that Molly needs her, and Molly is a good person, and she can't bear to leave her. That that that's against that goes against everything who, that she right. is. And, you know, from a character standpoint, you know, as an actor, that totally rings true. Uh-huh.
0: It says a lot.
1: Had she left Molly there, that would have been a false note for that character, because that's just not sure. who she is. She's really that good of a person that she'll put herself in danger for someone else who needs her, who who does. She doesn't even know. That's right. how good of a person she is.
0: It does inform her later decisions as well. She has mm-hmm. this whole moral dilemma with uh, pretty much just, do I allow this doctor to experiment upon me thinking that I'm immune to this virus? Mm-hmm. Or do I really keep with my morals and know that he's committing like horrible malpractice and atrocities? Mm-hmm. And is it really worth it in the end? Cause let's be real here. She kind of got, she does go through that story arc of kind of like, there's this goodness and kindness in her, a slight bit of naivety there at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Cause she has been coddled as we mm-hmm. see from the beginning into, like you say, she's been powerful the whole way through, but by the end is when she's starting to just decide for herself. What does she feel? How does she feel about all this? We still don't know. And i love the ending of this. People want to talk about, Inception is one of the best kind of vague open book endings, mm-hmm. but I don't feel that the ending says much about the film other than, is it a dream? But I'm like, what does mm-hmm. it say about the characters? What's really going on here? Uh, yeah. and I'm sure there's something to it, but I'm like, as interesting as that is in this case, I have those surface level questions of, is she infected? Did she go to, get, you know, make sure that she was going to die? Was she going out there to go kill them because she's infected? Did she want to not know? Did she go out there to save everybody because she knows that she's immune? I don't know. But what I do know is that no matter what, she knew what was going to happen when she opened that door and she wasn't going to stay with Jim. Yeah. And that's such a cool ending.
1: Yeah. And she, she makes that decision, you know, yeah. and it, it, it for her character, it can't have been easy, really, because she does care about other people. Even, you know, even if at that point, you know, she realized that, you know, obviously Jim is not who he used to be. No, she no, still cares, you know, and she cares very deeply about other people, which, you know, that's one of the most tragic things about the whole film is that, you know, because you've seen you've seen it, you know, they're in zombie movies. There are a lot of antiheroes, right? You know, like
0: Dude, it's got to be done.
1: Yeah, you know, and just kill them before they turn. And, um, you know, like, even Rick in The Walking Dead, he was kind of posited as, like, a moral guy. He wasn't moral. No. No.
0: He's a cop. No.
1: He was like, give <laughs> yeah. He was like, No, he but, was I mean, like, but he's, he's just like, a cop. He's a like cop. His, yeah. He's
0: kind of cop morality. He's like, well, I mean, let's all calm down here and try to stay, you know, rational yeah. and do it my way.
1: Honestly, he was, he was kind of a, a pompous ass, to be honest. I know everybody in loved moments. his character, but, I mean, he was kind of dumb and <laughs> pompous, really kind of in love with himself, and honestly, I never really liked him.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know I'm going to be honest. Yeah, he's a god complex.
1: Yeah, big time. He's Mr. Savior. And I have sus- his... His motives are suspect. I don't believe that they're related to his character.
2: Mm, okay.
1: But with Jim and Kat, their motivations and their, their characters, they're clean. They're pure. They really are good people. And that's, that's what makes what happens actually much more tragic and why it's more affecting because you, you see these genuinely good people. Just get put through all of this. And then to what happens, you know, it's like, damn. Yeah. Yeah. That Then that's where I was, I was sitting there at the end going. <laughs> <Aww>.
2: <laughs> so
0: that's the like, moment that made you cry.
1: Yeah. What, it, the moment like when they're, you know, they're on both sides of the fence uh, or the gate and just it's over and God, that ending. Yeah, they just it's just so it's done. And they were they were so wonderful together and it's just done.
0: It reminds me of a film that I covered recently actually in the podcast uh when I discussed The Fly. We mm-hmm. also just discussed like the power oh, of a cut to black. Not even a fade to black, just boom. Boom. This done. is how it fucking ends, you know? Yeah. And it's only because that story for them is ended. Like you have in The Fly where, you know, uh, Ronnie has shot Seth in the face. And yes. And she's screaming and it's just over. Hey, hey, it all it's all done now. Even though there's a lot still in the background that you're kind of, eh, don't worry about that. This is yeah. done. Sit it's,
1: in it. It's, it's over. It was their story.
0: It's and now it's
1: done. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is at the heart, you know, I, I think what I said about it is that, Love never really dies, and that's what this is: is that the love didn't die. He no. still loves her every bit as much as he did before he turned. It's just that now that he's turned, that love has turned into a violent urge to kill her.
0: Yeah, the "I could gobble you up" syndrome.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: I think honestly, you see, like, you almost see a sense of pride in his eyes watching her just stand up and go do her thing
2: because
0: mm-hmm. he doesn't seem overly the, the, you know normally we get the really puppy-eyed tragedy kind of thing and maybe him start laughing again to show that he has a sadness but in this case he's just constantly just very calmly smirking watching mm-hmm. her go and then it's just end
1: yeah <sighs> it, it's just it. it's in my opinion it's a very that's that's really what kind of put it over the the top for me as making it one of my favorite films of 2021 but also favorite zombie apocalypse films is it's just the surety of the storytelling and just that finality in that scene mm-hmm. it's just i don't want to say it's chilling it's not it's not chilling it's just so final
0: very confident
1: it's very strong statement yeah it's like a blow really to just the entire audience it's just like this is what you're getting (laughs) there was never going to be a happy ending
0: which a lot of these movies don't get but in this case like and i didn't see a happy ending coming by any Mm -hmm. means yeah i just didn't expect it to be this kind of i think the the there is a chilling part to it, I guess, because you're not used to them having a chilling ending. You're used to them having this kind of uber tragic kind of end. But mm-hmm. the tragedy had already taken place way earlier on in the film. Yeah. In this case, I think we're at a point where you have that chill of, I guess just the way it is. And if you can accept that, you're just like fuck. What does that say about me? <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. You're just like, but you don't really have a. You don't really have another option. I mean, what exactly. are you going to do?
0: What are you going to
1: do? do? What are you going to do about it? And, the, you know, that's kind of it, It's that the way of the world is. That's just the way it is. <sighs> I
2: hate that phrase. It's. <laughs>
1: You know, it is what it is, you know, when uh-huh. people like want to separate themselves from something that that's so, so upsetting. And that, that and that's really the basis of it. It's so upsetting, you know, I, and I, I don't know if I agree that like with like Dawn of the Dead, it's, it's just kind of like, a, you know, we're probably not going to make it, you know, we don't have mm-hmm. much fuel in this helicopter. <laughs> I mean, you know, neither *Living Dead* is, is yes is is a tragedy, but it's also kind of off. It's kind of like made remote. Yeah. There's that whole like it turns into a newspaper.
0: This happened, yeah.
1: This happened. It's tragic, but it, there's there's kind of a weird remoteness to the ending, which also kind of adds to the tragedy of it, just like. This happens every day, is kind of what it says. Yeah.
2: Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah.
1: You know, and, and you put that in, in context with, you know, like the George Floyd killing and, uh, you know, all the many instances of, you know, black men being murdered by the cops. Mm-hmm. That's what that has always said to me. It's always said, this happens every day. Yes. That's what that ending says to me.
0: I think that's why I came in still with so much fire and had to mention all the recent stuff that's going on. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. Like, look, I don't mean to just like give people heads. For, this is for the listeners. Like, I don't even mean to like, yeah. just be giving you headlines and talking about it because it's topical and all that shit. It's because I have a genuine emotion about <laughs> these things that, of course, we can do the quote-unquote professional thing, which is mm-hmm. stick to your topic and try to give that kind of escapist entertainment. Mm-hmm. But A, this is not this podcast. Uh, B, <laughs> y'all should know better by now. Uh, yes. B, um, this film, I just walked out of this film right before coming here. And it says the same emotion to me that I've had for the last week, that I've seen in other people's faces, that we see you know, politicians like Better O'Rourke saying live on television, that we're seeing you know, football owners saying, This whole, it's not just enough is enough. This movie doesn't say this is enough is enough. This movie is just saying, fuck, isn't this just the way it is? This happens every single goddamn day. And there are a lot of things in life that we have to deal with that we shouldn't have to deal with because of Mm -hmm. people acting this way. Mm -hmm. So take a good hard look. Those jokes you hear, where does it come from?
1: Yeah, this is what the world is like.
0: Yes, these microaggressions.
1: This is what the world is like if if you let this continue.
0: This is where we're headed. Mm-hmm. If you don't just get a bit more of a spine sometimes, and calmly, you don't have to be a mass aggressor and be just like these people in this movie. It's no. not a two-sides thing. Too you know, many people are making it, well, if I act aggressively back to aggressors, then I'm solving the problem, where all you have to do is just remind somebody... Do you like it when I act that way to you about things you don't like or disagree with you about things? Oh mm-hmm. no! Okay. Well, then stop being a dick.
1: Yeah. Or just say, "Do you think that this is acceptable behavior?"
0: Do you think this is acceptable do you, behavior? Do you
1: really yes. think that this is acceptable behavior? Because I'm here to tell you, it's not.
0: Exactly. That's another crucial aspect there. Because if you, you know, a lot of people are caught up in politicians, ha ha ha, saying things are political oddly Mm -hmm. enough yeah it's their job everybody they're gonna do that of course Um, so as they politicize things in in every way shape or form they're gonna ask the leading question do you think that this is acceptable to confuse you but the point of it is they never flat out say it's not Mm -hmm. because that would be complicit they have to really walk that line once you say something like that Mm -hmm. if you know in your heart in your moral code what you feel is right and wrong Mm-hmm. you can share that. You do not have to be somebody who's preaching at the grocery stores or doing no. crazy, just violent, horrible, hateful stuff. Try to put that hate, soak it in, get a bath, listen to some angry music, do, read the crossed, you know? Yeah. Uh, get some of that shit out, but then very calmly assess what good can you provide and what is not acceptable anymore, and what will you not accept? Not accepting it is flat out just saying, nah, I'm good. When somebody yeah. offers you a thing that is just wrong.
1: Yeah. You know, you, well, Henry Rollins would say just because someone hands you a pile of shit, you don't have to take it.
0: There you go. There you go.
1: Yeah. And that's that's the character of Kat is very much that. It, she it, is. It, she is. She's like, in, for the most part, polite up until a certain point. But saying, um, no, that's not acceptable. I don't. I won't let you do that to me.
0: She even says to the businessman during their first altercation, which oh my partner, by the way, she's just like oh, I hate this scene so much. She was just yeah. Like, she everything she said was like oh when's he gonna do this? Then he did the next thing. She just mapped out the course of action that these people do. She's like so how is he gonna very slyly try to get his hands on her? And then he touches her knuckle. And oh, like, oh my god! She's like threw a pillow. It's like I'm done. You
2: know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like I
1: can't take anymore.
0: <laughs> it's real. Yeah. I know how Cat, you would think that the, he's, you know, his, what he bitches about is she's not being polite because she's telling him what her boundaries are and she's saying, I'll go to the cops. But yeah. she is very polite because she's not screaming to everybody like, hey, I have a rapist on my hands and he's committing sexual assault and I'm going to call the cops and you should beat him up and making a big scene. She's just telling him, if you do one more thing, I'm giving you the one warning. If you breach this boundary, it is sexual assault. Yes. That's just how it is. And yeah. that's fine. Cut your boundaries in the line in the sand and tell people not to cross it calmly and read your book.
1: <laughs> and, you know, that's that's one of the things that I think that we're failing as people as individuals and as a society is that we're not teaching people or encouraging people to. It's not even real like horrible, like big, loud confrontation. It's just basically saying no. You know, we're n- <laughs> just, yeah, it's just saying, no, it's just saying, no, I don't accept that. Right. We, we, you know, we, we have, we built a society where, you know, people just try to avoid conflict so much that they allow these gleeful maniacs to run wild. That's what's been happening the past two years. You know, the whole thing where they're going into, like, Target without masks and breathing on people mm-hmm. and laughing and coughing on people intentionally. That's evil. And people just let them do it. You know, oh. uh, you, you, and, and here's the thing is, like, yes, I know. The, you know, what I'm saying when the, we let them do it is that we... When somebody, you know, is walking around, you just don't say, you know, you're supposed to have a mask on in here. And, you know, we didn't enforce it. We just said, whatever, you know, we're going to we're going to put out this dictate, but we're not going to put any teeth into it. We're not going to actually stand up to people who say who do, you know, just flip us off. We're just going to meekly accept it, which that meek acceptance gives the transgressor tacit permission to do whatever the hell they want.
0: You're not going to do anything about it.
1: You're not going to do anything about it. I can do whatever the hell I want. And that's where this leads. And that's the thing. It's already gotten to a certain point, you know, where you got those roaming bands of Anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers breathing on people, assaulting people, pulling people's masks off, just totally disrespecting other people's boundaries. It can only get worse. They have to be told no at some point.
0: And unfortunately, they have to be told no by the right people. It's not we have we've gotten to a point now where your personal boundaries are not enough for anybody anymore. They can touch your face. They can take your mask off. They can cough in your face. They can push you around. And if you scream, hey, get the fuck off of me, then you are either being aggressive or they are going to engage in a fight with you. But you don't have any guidance anywhere. Anybody who's supposed to be in a position to say, well, let's all get Stop that. Let's both of you. Yeah, that's not acceptable. That's not acceptable behavior. We go after the fact, after you've had like a bloody brawl that Mm -hmm. you either but you both get arrested or the person who was being accosted gets arrested because they were the first one to shout and get Mm -hmm. really loud about it.
1: I can tell you a story. Sure. This happened to me a, a month and a half ago. I wear my mask everywhere and I was in downtown LA. I was going upstairs to a doctor's office and it was a security building on Figueroa. I was there today again. And I was usually because they send you up to a specific floor. Usually you're in the elevator by yourself because they're they're sending you up to the 10th floor. So if somebody else gets in the elevator, they're not going to be able to press the button to go to eight. Huh. They, they wait for the next one. That's generally how it works in this particular building. You know, okay. you come in and you say, hey, I'm going to such and such office. They go, okay. And a, you press the button, door opens, they send it up to 10. This is a security building. So I'm standing in the elevator with my mask on, waiting to go up to the 10th floor. And this dude without a mask just barges in, tries to barge into the elevator. It's not set up for him. So he's not going to be able to go to the floor that he wants to. But he's deciding he's just going to barge into this elevator without his mask on. And I said, look, I don't want you in this elevator you don't have a mask on. He's like, I don't care. So he's just push, trying. He pushed me.
0: And you away.
1: he, 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 he was pushing his way into the elevator. Right. And I stood my ground. And when he couldn't push, push me back, he elbowed me in the chest. What the hell. And started shouting, she's assaulting me. he elbowed me in, in the breast uh, and that it was at that point that I shoved him because right. he had already, he had already assaulted me. Yeah. I didn't shove him that hard. I could have shoved him much harder and sent him into the opposite wall because I don't have a problem with doing that. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but he, he immediately starts shouting, she assaulted me. Security came over. They're like, they look, they look at me and they're like, we're not listening to him.
2: <laughs>
1: and um they're like and i i got i just walked out i just walked out of the elevator and he got in and he, i guess he could go up to the 10th floor i don't know where he was actually going he, he, i don't think he realized that he would be going to the wrong place and the security guard comes over to me afterwards and says we'll take care of him when he comes back down
0: <laughs> okay yeah it's not done enough though
1: no no, it's, and but he tried he tried. He tried, but that's the thing. Once he once he laid hands on me, once he assaulted me, I was free to assault him right back. And I did. I shoved him hard enough to to push him out of the elevator. And like right. I said, I could, I wish I'd shoved him harder because mm. I I could have knocked him on his ass. Mm. And I would have. I don't have a problem with doing that.
0: The fact that you would even have to, it's just this is shit I dealt with when I was six years old, for Christ's sakes. Like, we're talking about people who are still in this childish, like, they, you know, they won't let me do a thing. Or indeed, they, like, flick your ear a lot and you just like, turn around and you, like, slap their hand. He slapped me. Mm-hmm. You know, if that kind of stuff. Like, they're trying to goad people into reactions so that they can look as if they are in some sort of state of being victimized some way, somehow. Mm-hmm. And it does cloud the air when you do have plenty of victims out here in the world. And I, just so many people who are put out by others who don't have a voice because you have all of these people walking around who are just basically be, you know, freaking out because they were told, no, yeah, simple. Don't do that, bro. <laughs> and they just can't deal with it.
1: Well, and that's the thing is that I think essentially the problem and I can see this getting worse. Um, is that they haven't been told no enough? Agreed. And we and we haven't we haven't told people that they have the right to say no, whenever they feel like it, enough. I agree. They or push back if someone tries to hurt them.
0: But we're also not seeing our leaders say no. We're not seeing our leaders go to organizations like the NRA and saying no, you can't promote this particular gun. No, you can't promote that particular thing. That is very dangerous and irresponsible. You can't do that.
1: And no, that's exactly what I'm saying, is that we're being let down by our leaders because they won't they won't friggin' say no. And that's why I get so that's why I get so angry. You know, because I think Mark Stone was his name, the one who um got in Ted Cruz's face and just started asking him questions. That's right. the way they should be questioned at all times. They're, they're used, used to. to they're used they're <laughs> that's the thing. They're now that used to be the way it was, but now they're used to just people going, Oh, accepting that they're not getting an answer. Yeah. And journalists need to sit there and go, no, you did not answer this question. I'm going to ask you this question until either you run away and prove that you're a coward and a liar or you answer me. You know, that's that's what we're really lacking, I think. It it doesn't have to be confrontational or argumentative. It doesn't have to be mean or angry. It just has to be firm. Yes. You have, you have to put that that strength of character behind it where you say, no, that's not, that behavior is not acceptable. That's the only way they learn.
0: I agree. It is the only way they learn. And, and, and to tie it back into the sadness, I think this is a great mm-hmm. place to wrap up, actually. is Yeah. Because it's such a great lesson to, to kind of leave everybody on, just like the films. I'm just going to leave you on this. Uh, is just, you know, you have this character of Kat whose whole attitude the whole way through is non-confrontational but firm yeah she just has her boundaries she doesn't really it just just because she has a boyfriend who coddles her a bit and kind of tells her what's going on She's the one who's disappointed about not, you know, being able to go to that trip. She's like, fuck that. I want to get a tan, dude. I don't care about your stupid job. (laughs) She says everything that she's feeling, just like anybody else does. And I think that's also why this immunity that we see, whether it is an immunity or not. Like I said, it's interesting that we don't see what it's like for a character who's already kind of like pretty okay with who they are and -hmm. not repressing a bunch of shit and thinking, oh, I got to act a certain way. She's like, no, I pay my dues. I live my life. Leave me the fuck alone and let me read this book. That's pretty much how the world could work if we all supported each other in doing that a bit more. Of Just, hey, no. So, I want to thank you so much for that whole discussion, because I think it's such an important one. Mm-hmm. It's not a matter of one opinion versus another opinion on any topic. When we're, no. What we're attacking is the sheer lack of introspection, self-awareness, and accountability... And then you see this sort of a story that kind of shows you like, well, this is a world without accountability.
1: Exactly. Do you want to live in that world?
0: Also, if you don't want to feel all these things, it's pretty damn entertaining. <laughs> so there is that too. <laughs> so what, I wanted to make that clear.
1: There's the ch- there's the cherry on top of the fact that this the visceral thrill of watching what's going on and the entertainment value of how the film is put together it's amazing. It's an amazing first film, an accomplishment for a first, a first time. He's not a first time director. He directed a short before this, but for his first time feature, incredible work as a first feature. Just I'm, I can't even tell you how. Excited I am of the thought that he, for his next film and people are already trying to push like James Herbert av- adaptations on him. <laughs> and that's the thing is he he's one of the people who could probably adapt James Herbert successfully, who's I don't think has been adapted successfully. Um, used to be JG Ballard was the one right. that couldn't be adapted. Uh, James Herbert is the, one of the other frontiers of like just ultra violent moral morality tales Mm-hmm. And I, and I, I think they're right. They that yeah, he could probably ace it. It's a question of whether he'd actually want to do it
0: or make something similar. Uh, I mean, if he wrote yeah. this himself, I just think like, hey, keep that, keep that finger on that pulse. Show us what you're observing, and keep that confidence in both your filmmaking abilities mm-hmm. and what you have to say. To to do such a good job of making it to where. You know, the first viewing of this was so harrowing for me, but it's not like those extreme movies where just the details are just making you go. I can't sit through this. It's more like mm-hmm. I can turn off and not read the subtitles and just kind of go, "What the hell?" the whole way through, and still just mm-hmm. kind of enjoy this movie, like any other oh, yeah. movie. And oh I love yeah. Oh yeah.
1: There's that. There's that level of entertainment, but he never sinks down to the the video game type thing where you Comes know, like though. a lot of. Well, you know. There has to be kind of that sense of abandon, but mm-hmm. he never makes it into like a pure video game, like sometimes something like World War Z. Oh,
0: yeah, yeah. I get what you mean. There.
1: Where, yeah, it, where yeah. it's like, it, it looks like a video game. And uh, the carnage is like a video game. Um, he gives you, and, and what he said was that he uh, believes in what Brian De Palma said about violence, that you should show it for the ugly thing that it is. And that's why the violence is so ugly. It's he's wants to show you that this. This is serious stuff. You know, it's not not just entertainment, even though it is. Yes. Wildly entertaining.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I honestly think that is the best place to wrap up. OK, so please, everybody. Hold on to that final quote there. And for now. This podcast is sponsored by Logic Locks. Logic Locks creates and facilitates immersive real life games for the masses. Is your company looking for an activity to do for your next team outings? Play their online game show experience, no pants required. Looking for a fright? Follow a curious researcher into the depths of the Amsterdam catacombs from the relative safety of your own home. Check out logiclocks.com for more information on that. The Beauty of Horror is also proudly sponsored by the Anatomy of a Scream pod Squad. For more introspective, semi-academic, and fun podcasts like this one, be sure to check out anatomyofascream.com. If you're interested in more of my musings on beauty and horror, or horror in general, or just life and want to see me rant about shit, uh, you can follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore shockaholic. But dear listeners, I would like to hear from you. What are your thoughts on the sadness? Did you get all of the things that we were talking about? Did you just find it really entertaining and wild and I mean the effects? Ugh. Um but st- mm-hmm. I'd love to hear your thoughts either on Twitter at Beauty horror pod or via email, beautyofhorrorpod at gmail.com. And if you're looking for even more about aesthetics and horror, be sure to check out our newly launched website, spreadthebeauty.org. It features all of the introspective reflection on aesthetics and emotions you love here from the podcast but in written form. There's also an art gallery with selected works from horror visual artists, a personal blog from yours truly, and much, much more. And if you'd really like to show your devotion to our mistress of beauty and horror, you can join The Flock, a VIP member area with exclusive articles, special podcast episodes, and even more than that, all for only $5 monthly. Use the code INITIATE for your first month free. You can cancel at any time. Feel the horror spread the beauty thank you again Dolores for sitting down with me and talking about a film that I'm just so grateful to now have in my life um it's it's been a pleasure I could we could have gone on and on and on, and on
1: but just, <laughs> yeah you,
0: you, you tied a nice neat little bow there that just yeah hosting yeah. kicked in uh but I want to know like so where can everybody find you and is there anything in particular that you might want to kind of bring to their attention as well
1: um well, on Twitter you can find me at uh, I think I actually got my name .dot com, uh, but it would be Dolores Quintana, D-O-L-O-R-E-S-Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-A at Twitter I'm also on Instagram at uh, Dolores M. Quintana, and um, I'm trying to think like right now, um, you know, I I write. Normally at uh, Nightmares Conjurings. Um, I do have a pretty big review coming out in the, the next few days. Um, think about what movies are coming soon. <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe a certain um, Canadian, another Canadian master craftsman. Um, I also write uh, on my Medium blog. I... Um, Occasionally, am a columnist at Fangoria, and um, I have just actually published my first uh, article with The Advocate recently Mm -hmm. about uh, LGBTQ uh, directors in history, so I got to talk about that, and um, I write at, what now, Philadelphia? Uh, I write about food there, so and there'll be more stuff coming if so if you actually like check out my twitter profile you'll you'll hear about it
0: there you go we got to check out that twitter pro- profile and we're going to make sure to put links to some of these things in the show notes so please check those out and go read some wonderful stuff from dolores because i can tell you you're going to get passion you're going to get truth and heart uh You can't get anything else with Dolores. So, uh, and it's all (laughs) wonderful to read. So please do yourself a favor, check those things out. And of course, thank you, dear listener, for joining us and talking about the uh, various forms of disgust (laughs) that lurk within the horrible. Goodbye.
2: There's no duty.